Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. holidays to all you jolly brothers and jiggly sisters of the leaf. Coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys bring the year to a close by welcoming Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust master cigar blender extraordinaire, Steve Saka, onto the show to discuss his latest magical creations. And while the gang smokes a plethora of sexy Saka sticks, they'll, of course, be drinking a highly festive amount of adult beverages as well. So, uh, I guess we're referring now to chugging 15 beers over the course of a few hours as a highly festive amount of adult beverages, huh? Okay. Don't piss on me and tell me it's raining, you lovable drunken numbnuts. Anywho, sounds like we're going to have a hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up. And enjoy the show. Ho, ho, ho. You know, folks, I happen to have hoes in several different area codes. Jealous? Well, perhaps you should be. Snoochie boochies, everybody, and Happy New Year. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode 158. Is that right, Ted? 158? Yeah, uh, that, that's what the card told me this morning. That doesn't sound right, but we'll go with it. 158. Uh... How about this? Welcome everyone to episode Who Gives a Shit. Uh, it's our final show of the year. Thank Christ. And it's been a while since we all gathered together, uh, about a month. A lot has happened yeah, in the news. Yeah. Lots happened in the news. Uh, so much so that I had a hard time selecting a, a headline. You know, we usually open the show with a little current news and have a little round table discussion. Um, but there's a couple different things I had a hard time choosing. For example, this one I'm sure you boys heard of. Uh, did you guys hear about the story of the U.S. chess grandmaster who was accused by the world's number one player, Magnus Carlsen, of cheating by inserting vibrating anal beads up his ass? I don't care what TMZ says. I did not give him that strategy. <laughs> he can't prove it. First of all, I realize how redundant that sounds that he inserted vibrating anal beads up his ass. Where else is he going to put them? Uh <laughs> But yeah, it was a huge, it was a huge story that the guy had a accomplice remotely 
who was doing the chess on the computer and he would remotely activate the anal beads to tell the guy they had a little code set up on, uh, on how to move. That is fucking wild. Yeah. And I hate that dude. Cause now my Pornhub feed is just filled with nothing but chess masters. It's not cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, that isn't cool. I'm sorry. Uh, Steve, do you think you could possibly make better cigars if you were aided by vibrating uh, anal beads? No, why would I bother? I'd just be a puddle of jelly all the time. Yeah, just, yeah, no. Better better question, Steve. If you found out that another master cigar blender was using vibrating anal beads, would you put an asterisk next to their name, like Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds? Like, I don't need those beads, fucker. These guys aren't, they're not doing it the right way. No, I'm not big on the whole asterisk thing, you know? <laughs> you know, I, when I think about it, the times are the times, and this is just the way it works, because, I mean, people have cheated through the beginning of existence, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I guarantee you, there's a, there's a lot of records that, uh, you know, even as hallowed as baseball records are, there, there are a lot of those records that were achieved cheating along the way. So I remember, too, I'm a Patriots dude. I, I got no room, you know, I got to be careful here. I, <laughs> I can't, throw, I, I can't. I can't throw any stones, man. I. Uh, I wonder just, if Bill- just, for, just as a disclaimer, isn't there a great website called Your Team Cheats Two or something? It's a, oh, it's I never a, heard. Of it. Yeah, it's a cool website. It like it like catalogs every single um, major league team and all their cheating scandals. I think that's what it's yeah. called. I'm Googling. No, in other words, nobody's innocent. No, nobody. I Back back in the heyday, there was a uh, rumor going around that Sammy Sosa corked his bats, and I was a big Cubs fan. And I'm like, nope, doesn't do it. Then there was like a time where he breaks his bat, and the cork actually like gets exposed and flies out. Uh, yeah. Oh, that that wasn't his bat though. Yeah, that wasn't his bat. Yeah, no, it's actually called YourTeamCheats.com, and it's the definitive guide to NFL cheating. And it has all 32 teams, and it ranks them as to. You know, who are the biggest cheaters? And oddly enough, um, who is the largest cheater, according to this website? Let's just go to the top list. I would think the Patriots had to be up there. Well, oddly enough, the Patriots are kind of uh, – the Patriots are actually kind of middle of the pack. Um, the Patriots are number 14. Oh, wow. Um, they're actually – they're a touch below average. Um, the number one cheaters, according to this website, is the Denver Broncos. Followed oh, thank God. Jets, followed by the Indianapolis Colts, followed by, well, you know what? Go to the website and find out, but I'll tell you. Wait, those, those are all traditionally pretty terrible teams that are cheating. Like, if you're going to cheat, do it to your benefit. I don't know. I mean, well, the Jets, yeah, that's a different story. Yeah, I mean, that's. But, um, anyways, uh, but the least cheating team is, uh, Chicago, Chicago Bears. The Cardinals. They actually, by the record, that makes sense. They actually called them the feeblest NFL cheaters as the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> they try to cheat. They just can't get that together. Larry Fitzgerald is a national treasure, and he wouldn't oh, let them cheat. Get out of here with your Larry Fitzgerald nonsense. Uh, I love Larry Fitzgerald. Although I don't think anybody would be surprised if uh, there's there was revealed that uh, Matt Patricia had some anal beads going on under that, that giant windsuit he's wearing. <laughs> oh, Maddie Patricia. Poor Maddie. <laughs> How the hell do you have a defensive coordinator as your offensive coordinator? Well, you can see by our record how that works. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. It's a, 
Yeah, yeah I, like I love it. it. I, I still love it. Well, Tut, uh, we'll, we'll move on from, uh, your weird, uh, Pornhub recommendations with the chess thing. Did you guys hear that, uh, Dame Angela Lansbury finally kicked the bucket at age 96? Therefore, removing herself the only way she possibly could from the TNCC ban list. So good riddance to her, right? I'll see her Wait, in hell. She was in the ban list? I will see her in hell. Yeah, man, we banned her years ago. Well, you and I, I got it. You and I got into you, it big Why time. would you ban Angela Lansbury? Oh, uh, you have no why idea. She, she is bad news. She's bad. So sweet. What are we talking about? Wait a minute. Do I know who Angela Lansbury is? Because yeah, I'm, murder, so, I'm getting lady. confused. Right, right. Murder, she wrote, right? That's what we're talking about. Bed knobs and broomsticks? Come oh on. Oh, my God. <laughs> who, who else? Is Mother Teresa on the excommunicado list? No. We, she, who she, else Teresa's is, like, not allowed? Oh, we have a, we have a quite a substantial band list, but, uh, I, I, I was very, uh, adamant about Dame Angela Lansbury. And I use that term Dame very loosely and sarcastically. Uh, but yeah, she, we'll see her in hell. She's gone. Uh, and then who likes international intrigue? Oh, I do. I know you do. I know you do. Yak boy, I know you do. And this is some Tom Clancy level stuff right here. I was thought about talking about. And who in their right minds couldn't be captivated and mesmerized by this story? Did you hear about the Nigerian officials who seized thousands of illegal donkey penises that were due to be exported to Hong Kong? No. This is this is about three weeks ago. It was all over the news. Which, which, wait a minute. It begs the question. There's a legal way to export donkey penises. The fact that these are illegal. That, I mean, that, means, that implies there's a legal way to do this when you use that way of phrasing it. Steve, we're brothers from another. That's the first thought I had. Like, is there a pay- piece of paperwork? Right. Is there like some sort of document, some sort of clearance that? No, I'm just picturing Tut crossing the border in his little Subaru with a big sack of donkey dicks in the back. Is there paperwork that says it's okay? Like, I'm an oh. old man. I was confused. <laughs> I thought these were certified dicks. How could I know? They exactly. look the same. I inspected each dick individually. <laughs> A total, get this boys, a total of 16 sacks of illegal donkey penises were confiscated at the international airport in Lagos, Nigeria, before they could be shipped to China where they'd be used in making traditional medicine. All right. So my first thought was with Steve, is there a le- you know, are there legal severed donkey penises? Right. But then I was like, well, how'd the guy get caught? It was at the airport. So did he blow it at the check-in? Like, sir, any batteries flammable? Is that a bad pun or what? Did he blow it at the check-in? Come on. Oh, that's oh, a cheap joke. That's even beneath <laughs> you. Come on. No, it's no, not. It's no, it's not. not. It's very on brand. Oh my God. Did the lady, did the lady, when he, when he threw the 16 sacks on the scale and she's like, do you have any flam, anything flammable, any batteries, any donkey dicks? And he's like, yes. Hey. Oh shit. And let's even get to the bigger question. How fucking strange are the Chinese that they want donkey dicks to make into medicine? And here's here's my- the part that is so upsetting about this whole thing. Yes. They're taking over the world. We're losing to them. Okay. Yeah. They want we medicine don't have the donkey donkey brown donkey penises and we can't compete. Right? That's, that's, that's how sad, that's how sad things have become. We're losing to the people that eat ground donkey penis. That's who we're losing to. 
I had America, you need to get your shit together because this ain't gonna stand. Or start eating well, more donkey. You dicks. castrate that donkey and you win. Well, well, first of all, I think if we make a concerted effort to eat more donkey dicks, maybe that we could go that direction. I cannot believe this is gonna air. In the eighties, we were always telling each other, "Why don't you eat a bag of donkey dicks?" And it just never right. took off. Yeah, you are right. That was a saying in the eighties. It was a huge thing. Go eat a oh, go yeah. eat a bag of donkey dicks. Go eat a bag. I remember that very vividly. Yeah. And this guy's like, "Fuck! Right. I got sixteen. I got sixteen sacks out in my Subaru." But then I start. But then I start thinking about this. Those poor fucking donkeys. Their whole lives, all they do is haul our shit on their backs. And it's like, uh, what a fucking horrible existence. Life can't get any worse. Oh wait, what are you doing with those scissors? Wait. Sorry, we need this shit to grind up into some soup to cure the hiccups. Be like, fuck you, man. What the hell? Oh, what sort of lighthearted movie are you guys watching tonight? Out of curiosity, what 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 what, what is what is on the debut screen for tonight? Only one of the most epic movies I've ever uh, seen. Because uh, because we're actually going to talk about a lot of things in the second portion of the show, Steve. After we cut you loose, but the uh, the movie we're going to spend the most time on uh, because it is our final episode. Uh, it's actually a Tom Clancy movie about this very subject. It's called The Sum of All Baby Arms. Uh, I, I, it's a riveting political thrill. No, it's uh, called The Final Alliance. It's a martial arts movie starring David Hasselhoff from 1990. He's a drifter I with a- I still feel like I'm being pulled around here. Come on. That's true. Uh, the final- The Hasselhoff Final Alliance thing is a true thing? Yes. yes. 19, 1990. He's a uh a martial arts. Why do you guys endure? Why do you put yourselves through this misery? <laughs> oh, this isn't misery. This is cinema gold. He teams up with a mountain lion. His his best friend is a puma, and the puma lives in his kitchen. And when when the biker gang comes to beat him up, he just calls the puma out there, and they kick ass. All right, I feel like I'm getting yanked right here. I got to Google this. Oh, too. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's no way. I. Go to IMDb, read the synopsis. David Hasselhoff and a Puma kick biker ass. It's free to stream on Tubi. Light it's, it up and enjoy it. Well, I'm sure it's free to stream because nobody's paying for this. I mean, Yak Boy, will you make a will you make a note in your show notes to tomorrow morning copyright uh, Tom Clancy's The Sum of All Donkey Dicks? I'm going to work on that script uh, over the holidays. Oh Had my it. god. Hey, see, looks uh, Steve's eyes. He sees it. We're not make. We don't. We're not gonna fool you, buddy. I'm not that creative to make up a movie about David Hasselhoff and a puma, puma taking on a biker gang. A drifter and his pet puma stands up against a motorcycle gang in a small American town. Oh, you know, God bless America. Besides it being our final episode of the year, Steve, you know why I picked it? Because a couple years ago, we didn't have you on the show. But we were reviewing one of your cigars and we paired it with this Eric Estrada movie called Guns that was just glorious. And you mentioned something when you shared the the review and you're like, where the fuck did these guys like you actually went it went further and like shared the poster work from you're like, look at this. It's like Eric Estrada in a tuxedo with a rocket launcher. Like, where the fuck do these guys find these movies? And I was like. Well, you gotta, I gotta step it up a notch. You know, it's, uh, a couple years later. So dude, final alliance, David Hasselhoff and a goddamn Puma. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to use this artwork, too. Are you kidding me? Why wouldn't I? It's actually kind of a cool movie poster. I mean, I'm checking this out, and I'm like, wow. Hey, cool movies deserve cool movie posters. It's the law. Maybe we could collaborate on a Hasselhoff Puma cigar. Man. That is crazy. I think think the Hoff would be down with that. Oh, no. I was talking about us and Steve, not us and David Hasselhoff. I'm trying to think if I recognize anybody else in this movie. Uh, Bo Hopkins as, yeah, as Bo Hopkins is in this movie. Yeah, he's he's, he's Sheriff Whistler and Ghost. I can, I can't remember where I've seen that dude from, but he was in a lot of '80s movies. Oh, dude, John Saxon. He fought Bruce yeah. Lee in. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the one? Yeah, it's the big one with the with yellow jumpsuit. Actually, you've seen oh, uh, John Saxon. You've seen John Saxon in a lot of things. Oh, dude, yeah. Enter the Enter yeah. the Dragon. He fought Bruce Lee. He right. was the the dad right there in on Elm Street. Uh, right on Elm Street, Black Sunday. Yeah. Is he? Tons of stuff. Wait, Black Sunday or Black? I thought it was Black Christmas. Uh, Black Christmas. You're correct. Yeah. He was the cop. And in Final Alliance, you wouldn't wouldn't recognize him because he always kind of looks the same in all his movies. Dude, he plays an albino. He bleached his eye, his eyelids blonde, his, his eyebrows. He's got bright white hair. And they painted his skin like super white. I mean, he looks like, like the Joker, uh, without makeup. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really disturbing. Uh, that's him committing to the role, man. He's embracing it. That, that wasn't his style, but he, uh, he did it. I, I just love the fact that you guys are going to endure an IMDb rated movie of 4.1. Oh, so, we never, don't ever look at ratings. Ratings mean nothing. But it's actually going to be a topic we're going to talk about a little bit here, cigar ratings. Um, so anyway, I was going to talk about Severed Donkey Dicks. I was going to talk about that troublemaker, Angela Lansbury, passing away. I even thought about talking whatever the hell the first thing I mentioned was. I think we've uh, talked about all this. So oh, the we- anal beads. Yeah, well, I'm glad I didn't talk about any of that stuff at length. Because yeah. I remembered, oh, shit, tonight we have a very special guest, and I don't want to bog him down with anal beads and donkey dicks. I bet nobody's ever introed this guy like this before. Uh, so I scrapped that plan altogether. Ladies and germs, it is my pleasure as always to welcome back to the show for a record time. I looked it up. A record time fourth visit with the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, the one and only Steve Saka of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Welcome, Steve. Oh, wow. Thank you. You have been on the show. Uh, you were tied for our most over this is our um eighth year and you have done it just as you and one other dude who's have, the other uh, dude uh skip uh romacron okay <laughs> uh, yeah. and you've been gracious enough to always do it around the holidays so it's like it's almost like it's not christmas unless Sokka's here exactly yeah. uh, it's just be kind of kind Great of uh, christmas cheer everywhere I think you, do. you you are a cheerful son of a bitch. I'll give you that. Um, I'm just taking notes for I write the write up about sharing the link. Anal beads, donkey dicks, Angela Lansbury, David well, that, see, that sounds, Okay, that sounds, I got it, man. That sounds really twisted when you say them all together with Angela Lansbury in the middle and then the puma at the end. Yeah, and I, I think we'll just call puma and the hawk. <laughs> What'd right. you guys, I'm just picturing tomorrow morning breakfast at the Saka house. So what'd you guys talk about, babe? Uh, anal beads, Angela Lansbury, donkey. If you, if you think my wife asked me about what I talked about on a podcast, 
That's yeah, a good boy, point. You are so clueless. And, uh, no, no, it's, I should, from my own experience, I should have known better. Did your I, wife I, ask any of you guys what? You're like, no, it's like just, it's a black hole. It's that thing you guys do. I don't know why you do it. I, I think before, I think I could get out maybe, well, David Hasselhoff and a Puma, I wouldn't even get Puma out of my mouth. She'd be, she'd walk out of the goddamn room. <laughs> and you just described my household. And uh, every other sane wife's household, of course. Come on. Well, first off, thank you for joining us once again, my friend. It's great to see you. Always an honor to have you on the show. Uh, now with those pleasantries out of the way, it's time for the annual Festivus airing of grievances. Ah. We got a lot of problems with you people. You know, Steve, I thought our marathon show we did with you last December was pretty epic. Or at least my liver certainly thought we outdid ourselves. Even after the show, we stayed up for several hours bullshitting. And then you, Sokka Claus... Go on some other show recently and drink yourself so twisted that you post a picture of yourself getting hooked up to an IV the next day. Uh, you've been holding that. You've been holding out on us, man. Yeah. What was that? Oh, you know, I went to um, one of those, uh, you know, one of those places where you pay for the fluids. They opened one of those places close to me. But, but what, am I right? That was recovering from a, a one of these little. That's just that's just recovering from fucking five years of misery, is what that is. That's uh, that's not that's not that's not one podcast pushes you over the edge. That's is that? What, yeah, no, come on. <laughs> Something triggered that, that, it all. That, 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 that's that's like thirty years worth of abuse that I'm trying to solve in two bags of fluid. Did it I, work? You know, I have to tell you, it makes you feel. It feels great. It really does. In fact, I, I had my first experience with it. Look, I've had my hospital version of it because I don't know if you've ever been and you've gotten the, the fluid and it just feels like internal air conditioning. I mean, it feels so refreshing and so good. And then this year at the trade show, they had one of those places on site at the Venetian. Was it the, yeah, the Venetian. And if you're willing to like give them an extra couple hundred bucks, they'd come and do it in your room. So, uh, yeah, so I ended up uh, getting one of those while I was there. And it just, I don't know, it's just, it's a nice little boost. You know, you can, like, they put all sorts of cocktails worth of vitamins and whatnot. So you get to kind of pick what you want. Right. But, uh, but I mean, it's a good way to get a lot of vitamin C and a lot of B12 and a nice good hit of energy. And it just, it feels good. It's really refreshing. So highly recommend it, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. And here here I am out in my backyard grinding up donkey dicks like a noob. Yeah. Well, let me say this. I don't know which costs more, but those, those, those fluid treatments aren't cheap. They really. Oh yeah. I know. I know they're, I've seen some of the, they're like 150 to like $300. Yeah. Depending on what they stuff in the bag. All right. Well, I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a pass. Um, well, real quick, uh, before we introduce, uh, the cigar we're going to be smoking with you to here tonight, cause I really want to get to it. Smoking. So I'm sorry. I started. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not smoking that. I don't have any. I, uh, I would like to address briefly the elephant in the room because it, it leads to something that I, I really want to get your spin on. Uh, late last year when the TNCC released its top 10 cigar list of 2021, uh, we, we received some rather unfriendly fire from another media entity, which we won't name here. I'm not interested yeah. in getting into all that. Uh, the reason being is that we included the Sin Compromiso Paladin de Saca right. in our, in our best of list. Despite yeah. it not being widely available for purchase yet in the marketplace. Right, we had just started shipping it. Oh, I guess like, I think the first, I don't remember the exact date. I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but like December 7th, 
yeah. December 10th, December But, 10th. oh, the horrors that we, we put it on our list when it wasn't everywhere. Uh, apparently, according to some, we were setting a very dangerous precedent by including your eponymous cigar in our top 10 yeah. for reasons that made no logical sense to me. Uh, and we got privately called out for it and then publicly mocked for it. How dare we list a cigar we like the most on a list of cigars we like the most? Right. It's and you weren't alone because it made like the number two overall for the year. So it wasn't like one person did it. Uh, the audacity. Probably like, probably like the, 10 or 12 people had it like up in their, you know, number one through number four. The, you know, the yeah. The, no, the, the, the audacity of all of us who uh, dared to put on our list. Uh, I know it's, it's fucking crazy. If you're, if you're at home, you might want to sit down for the rest of this because it's pretty shocking stuff. Uh, we, I mean, I'll be the first to admit we're kind of a crew of ignorant degenerates around here, but it, I naturally, the next time I spoke to Sokka, I told him about it. Why wouldn't I? It was, it was crazy to me. And that led to an even bigger shit storm. How dare you talk to, tell Steve what I told you? Okay. Oy vey. Big fucking whoop. He, he didn't just, he didn't just tell you. He told multiple people. So you weren't the only one to get. No, that. you told me. It was like, I was like the fourth person had yeah. told you the same, the same thing. Cause it was just so bizarre to be, uh, reached out I to mean, by someone I who's. Just don't, I just don't understand why anyone gives a fuck. Everybody, everybody makes their own top list. It seems all, so. They all have different criteria. Some are that. You know, it has to be like, uh, I know, I know one top list only does September to September, right? So well, that, and that, that, after September doesn't even get included as being eligible. And that's Other where cars don't aren't eligible. If uh, a lot of lists won't include multiple, won't include multiple scars from the same manufacturer or shop exclusive, they won't do a shop exclusive and others yeah. are, Hey, I'll only do this year's release and another like, I was on a top list year last year with uh, one YouTuber, and he gave Sober Mesa El Americano his number one. That's a cigar I released in 2015. That was our number, number one. Number one. That was you number know, one of 2015. Yeah, it was. So his 2021 top cigar was my 2015 cigar. I mean, I'm thankful. Thank you very much. I mean, but well, actually, uh, Yak Boy, could you make a production note? I need to send a message to that YouTuber and tell him that we don't. He he fucked up. He can't yeah. be put. I mean, the bottom line is everybody has their own list and they have their own criteria. It all seems to decide what's on it. And they, and that's just the way it is. And it all seems like anybody's business. No, it's no, it's nobody's business, especially when you've never shown any interest in our business up until then, you know, there, there's a little cigar media bubble of guys who go on each other's shows and pat each other on the back and share each other's stuff. And it's like, okay, you can probably tell him he's doing shit wrong because you're buddies. I do have one complaint about this conversation. Yeah. If you're going to say all this stuff, you should at least have the balls to say who we're talking about. And I'm, I'm happy to do it. But oh, I, I was, I was I actually, I, I was, just, I think this passive aggressive thing, it's just oh, not sock, it's just not Sokka S. So I, I can't cotton this part of it. Well, just, no, no, I, I was actually, it was Cigar Coop that it was did cigar. not like the fact that you rated my cigar number one when he didn't feel like it was in the market long enough for it to be included on your list and multiple other people's list. Just, just say it. I was actually doing that out of respect. Uh, How are you doing respect? You, you want to do out of respect? You wouldn't bring the topic up. 
No, 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 not not the out whole of passive aggressive. Not, not for him. Way, it's no, way no, no. too chicky for me. We can't. Not do- I, I wasn't doing yeah. respect. I wasn't doing respect for Cigar Coop. I'm sorry. I was. I was. I I know that he's kind of revered among manufacturers. He does a good job. He does. He does a lot of good and, work. I mean, and and so he, I, I, he, I, he, I I was he, doing he, that. He's gonna be, and he, he he generates a lot of content. He covers I, a lot I, of news. But I was like, not sparing his else, you know, yeah, I, everyone has an opinion. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. Sure. My dad has an opinion. The guy down the street has an opinion. Well, okay. So, so I, I, I was, I was doing that because I actually kind of offhandly said something about Coop once with another guest and they got very uh, defensive and well, the reason up. why is because look, me being a manufacturer, we're always, everyone, this is part of my issue with all of this. And you'll notice, and Coop will be the first to tell you, and Aaron Loomis, and Charlie, and all of them. I take the slings, I take the arrows, but I also return fire, too, when I think it's inappropriate. I, I've never been one to, I've never been one to coddle, okay? And the thing is, they know that. And it's part of why, I guess, I earn a certain modicum of respect. Maybe sometimes disdain, but look, this is the reason why I'm not in Cigar Aficionado magazine because of the fact that I'm willing to have this kind of conversation out loud that has made me persona non grata for well over 20 plus years. Okay. It's just, well, the, the reason I, the reason I brought this up, Steve, wasn't to, to kind of. Yeah, you're uh, just trying to get me in trouble and ruin my radio. No, star no. so see, like literally, I'm not even going to make the top 10 now because of you. Thanks a lot, Mr. K. I'm I, really glad I came on here to talk about Angela Ansberry and Pumas and Donkey Dicks and also to tank my ratings on Cigar Coop. Fucking A, dude. Really appreciate it. Uh, hey, I brought this up for a reason. Why oh. it's trite and downright silly to guys like us. I wondered after all that, because you're a busy guy, you're spinning a lot of plates. You don't give a shit about cigar media drama. Who does? I don't care about the drama, but look, it would be, it would be foolish to say that I don't want my cigars reviewed, that I don't want them rated. I'm always hoping they're going to get good ratings. I'm hoping they're going to get fair ratings, but at the same time, you get some good ones, you get some bad ones. I luckily tend to get very good ones overall. I have some things that occasionally just don't suit someone's fancy or I get unlucky and the cigar they got was one of the cigars that was tight. I mean, cause it happens. It, it's just the way it is. But, um, I pretty much let you guys be you guys and do your thing. Um, but at the same time, I also am not shy to talk about cigar media and how it works and the trials, 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 trials and trials and tribulations. Folks there you go. Trying to get to. There you go. Well, the reason I uh, kind of gave some backstory to all this is because I know that you take a great deal of pride and interest, as I personally feel you should, or any manufacturer should, at Half Wheel's end of the year consensus list, which compiles, for those of you who don't know, a top 25 based on the various cigar media best of lists. Uh, it used to be when we started contributing the consensus, what, seven years, six, seven years ago when they started it? Right. Uh, you, it was pretty, the qualifications to get on there were much more than they are today. Right, right. now, I think you just have to make at least one YouTube video about a cigar and you're qualified to be on the consensus. It used to be a lot more. I don't, I don't know what the criteria is, but I do know, I do that. I think you have to be active in some, to some degree. And I think that you have to 
actually publish some sort of I think you have to have now a you do have to have a published on an internet website list. Right. You can't just post in Facebook your top ten. Right. Uh, I know that you're not allowed to be like associated with a retailer or a manufacturer. Correct. You don't have sponsors, but that meaning that like JR Cigar Cigars can't have their JR Cigars top list or whatever, like Cigar Advisor. You know, Cigar Advisor is a really good uh, site if you guys have never looked at it. Oh, it's great. Uh, We we Uh, actually have my famous smoke shop. They have a separate department that handles this kind of digital media publication. Cigar Advisor is not allowed to be included. I don't know why, because if it's a legit list, it's a legit list. It is. Uh, and I do want to encourage, I don't often tell you, uh, viewers and listeners to go elsewhere in cigar media, but I'm with Steve Cigar Advisor, uh, from our friends at Famous Smoke Shop. Uh, I love, uh, some of Gary's review, video reviews and Gary does good reviews. He does. He does. And Todd, if they decide to purchase some cigars from Famous Smoke Shop, what should they do at checkout? They should hit that promo code TNCC20 and get $20 off uh, their purchase of $100 kidding? or more. I just segue away for you to pimp You set it up like a champ. Wow, man. I should be on the payroll. <laughs> I had no clue. What, what is that promo code again? Let me hear that again. TNCC20 to get 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. Actually, That's t- almost like 20%. Tut, that's wrong. It's not 20%. It's $20 off $100 or more. Oh, I've heard it both ways. Yeah. It's not quite as good as you made it out. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, to go back to the, to go back to the consensus. Um, I know that you take pride and interest in the consensus as you, well, as I'll, I'll tell you the reason why I like the consensus because look, all lists are inherently biased. They're all inherently flawed. None one is, no, no, no top list is perfect, right? Because everybody has different perspectives. What the consensus does is it takes all of these varying opinions and just kind of averages them together to kind of give you a, hey, this is the collective opinion. It takes some of the bias out because it's spread wider. Now, Charlie would argue that it incorporates bias by the fact that those of us that are better at working the media, okay, end up getting more favorable in the thing. And he says that I'm a master at working you guys which I find rather peculiar because I'm the guy that like challenges you guys probably more than most other manufacturers. Right. So if there should be anyone, the media should dislike, it should be me because I'm the guy that's just willing to kind of like, it's a spade. It's a spade. It's a hard, it's a hard. It is what it is, but I expect the same thing in return. Right. I mean, I, 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 and I don't have any beef with it, but. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, uh, when you called me passive aggressive earlier, that's going to come back to haunt you. Uh, exactly. But you were being passive aggressive. See, it's a fact. It I was trying to be respectful for you, it goes, my friend. It goes back to what I, what we said before we started taping this or whatever you guys call it these days. The kids. Go ahead and light up, boys. Um, I'm truthful. I'm, I'm very truthful, but it's sometimes a little cruel to hear, you know? <laughs> Well, there, there are, there are definitely, I, I would put you at the, at the top of the mountain. Uh, but as a cigar media entity, I have seen firsthand companies that one year will make a huge all in push, uh, to cigar media. And it is definitely reflected in the consensus. And then I've seen those same companies not make that same effort the next year. Right. And 
completely off the consensus. It and is listen, work. It listen, is. I'm also not shy about saying that I get a list of all the media sites that I'm aware of. And every single year I send them a handful of samples of the cigars that I want them to consider for them to rate and review. I don't ask them to rate them. I don't ask them to review them, but I know that if I send it to them and I also send them information about the cigars to help them, you know, the basic information, the binder wrapper filler and my tasting notes and all of that. It, kind of it's stuff. essentially a, it's a, it's about a 300 page document. It's, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's the exact same thing that the retailers get when they come to the trade show. And that's my attitude. Some, a lot of media doesn't come to the trade show or they come to the trade show and they get the cigars as samples at the trade show, but you know how it is at the trade show. You're smoking 12 cigars a day back to back. You mm-hmm. don't, you don't really get to smoke a cigar, really focus on it. You know what I mean? No, so, I, I, no, so I, t- I totally so get it. So I send out samples, but the truth is most, many companies do. They just don't say it out loud. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and many um, companies actually lobby the media for good ratings. And many companies, when they get a review that they don't like, they actually kind of like back channel call and say, well, how the fuck could you do this to me? You know, I can't believe you gave me, you know what I mean? And I, I just don't really do any of that. We I, actually, th- this year, Steve, uh, and I'll get jump back into my point of man, but we, for the first time ever, Steve, in eight years, I got approached by a manufacturer privately this year. If we could, I published a review and Instead of getting a, hey, thank you for taking the time to review my cigar, I got a, hey, would any chance you could bump it up a point? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything's negotiable. That was a new one. Uh, I don't think it's that new, and I'm not surprised. I asked, I asked, who does? I asked a few, uh, well, I asked our one friend in cigar, <laughs> I asked a bunch of my cigar media buddies. Uh, no, I, I actually asked, uh, Zane over at Blind Man's Puff, who I, I contribute to their, uh, yeah. to their review. I love the way they do theirs. Oh man, they're, per- as far as rev- actual reviews go, that's the only way to, in my mind, the only way to actually. And the thing is, if you look at every review, there's very seldom cigar that all four of them all ultimately like. Mm-hmm. Because it's a good reflection of the fact that everybody has individual taste. There's, but I, al- yeah. there's always, there's almost always an outlier in the group. Yeah. Well, those, both, those, both to the very good and both to the not as good. Those two know? guys, those two guys are really cool and they, uh, they, they, they've been good to us. But anyway, uh, I asked Zane, I was like, Hey man, I was just wondering. I've never gotten a message from a manufacturer asking me to raise a score. Uh, have you ever guys ever seen that? And man, he was like, never like that. He was like personally offended by it. And I was like, I don't get offended by anything. So I was like, well, I'm not, I don't feel that strongly about it, man. You should just stop now because I don't have to accuse you of being passive aggressive again. No, I'm not going to say who that was. Just, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's go on to the next topic because I'm going to make you, I'm going to make the, make the out that person too. The thing is, I don't know who it is. So I can't even call your bluff on this one. All I'll right? tell you, I'll tell you after the show. <laughs> I better that I don't know. Okay. My life is better not knowing. I don't even know if he's making cigars anymore. Uh, it was one of those deals. But anywho, my, my whole point of bringing up, uh, our kind of thing we went through with cigar coop, uh, at the end of last year, did it, seeing as how you, you value the consensus, did it at all make you reconsider me and other entities telling you about, you know, the, the bullshit? 
did it make you reconsider at all submitting cigars for review? You typically do it at the very end of the calendar year. Yeah, I typically well because you know there's always recency bias, and you want to. So you have cigars that come out earlier in the year, and they smoked it, and they rated it, right? They reviewed it, and they really liked it. But Steve, a lot of a but lot of months uh, earlier, seven months earlier, so you kind of want to put it back in front of them so they smoke it again. So agreed. They a recent standard to the ones they've just smoked to try to get some frame as to well, is it really better than what they've smoked since? Or no, I've actually really smoked things in the last couple of months that are actually better. Agreed, know? agreed. But a lot of these sites have these arbitrary cutoff dates, like October for anything I get after October first isn't is disqualified from my best of list. And, you know, and, and talking about Coop, he just rated the Sincompromiso Palette in Dasaka, and he gave it a very, very high score. So Coop liked the cigar. So I would guess that that cigar will be eligible this year to potentially make his top list where it wouldn't, it wasn't eligible for him last year. Now, I don't know that it will, but given the rating he gave it, I think it's probably in the running to make the top 25 for him. And to that point, Saka, we we put it on our top 10. We reviewed it last December, and there's only so many days in the week. We actually did not get to revisit the Paladin de Saka this year, right. so it won't be on our on our top list this year. And that's the thing, too, in some weird way, and that's one of the things that I've always had a challenge with all of the top lists. I have so many cigars that oftentimes I'm not only just competing with my direct competitors, but I'm often competing with myself. You know what I mean? I mean, well, I you're, have you're, a, and, your, and your 2015 have, versions too. I mean, I have, a, I have my 2015 cigar, right? So, I mean, I had, I mean, I've had some really nice releases this year. Now, whether they qualify in people's top list, that's going to be up to them. But I mean, I, I've had some really nice bangers come out this year. And if you start thinking about the exclusives and you start adding in stuff like U-Boats and, you know, stuff like that and Barbara Amarillo and all of those things, I mean, it, it's a pretty, I, I make the field pretty muddy for me. I really do. It'd be much easier if I just would make, like most companies make mostly cigars that aren't all that great and just have a couple really good ones. It actually helps your score a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, lets, it lets, it lets, it lets the, it lets the reviewers really focus on the winners. And if you really think about it, most really successful companies, you don't have to have like, most companies don't have like a whole slew of just great cigars. They have two, three, four. You know what I mean? They're like the standouts, right? We can all kind of, and I'm not going to start calling names. I'm going to leave that to everybody. Oh, else. don't be passive aggressive, Steve. Well, but the thing is, if you really think about it, it's very rare for a company. It's very rare for companies to have so many brands get so many high ratings on such a consistent, consecutive basis over and over again. And, and that has been something that we have really enjoyed. Now, are we really enjoying that because I'm really good at manipulating the media? Or are we really enjoying it because the cigars are actually that good? Ultimately, I'm going to leave that to consumers to decide because they're going to smoke this stuff and they're going to decide whether they think it's true or not true. But I mean, it, it is, it is a, a unique situation. Well, I will say this and we're going to get to it uh, just in just a little bit. You are going to be kind of Tut and I were talking about this before the show. He, he smoked another one of your blends last night because he knew that I had designated him to smoke a different soccer blend tomorrow night when we finish the show. 
and he was kind of blown away by it. And I, I was like, well, the one you're smoking tomorrow night actually scored on a review. We're dropping this Friday a little bit higher. Sokka's competing with himself again. Um, but yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. I, I was just wondering if I get that you want to hit them while they're th- right before these lists come out. You're right. There is something about newness and in, in your memory. And, and, and is, yeah, I mean, you, you, look, you had an amazing dinner in March and you knew it was an amazing dinner in March and you wrote what an amazing dinner it was. But since March, you've had another 200 meals. And out of those 200 meals, you've had some other amazing dinners. So, yeah, I I like for reviewers to revisit the meal and just go, okay, was it really that good? Is it worthy of being in one of my top meals for the year? And that's what you're really trying to do. And, look, it can work against you because maybe the memory is fonder than the current. You know what I mean? So it's not not like a guaranteed win to do that. Yeah, it's Uh, it's certainly not an exact science. I guess you could always send a box full of cigars to cigar media in the summer and then again in the winter. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. Uh, <laughs> so, so just so while we're having full disclosure, um, I typically send, I think two or three samples per taster, um, for them to review. So they don't just get one cigar because. You want to give them enough that they can, because I know personally, I have an opinion of a cigar when I smoke it the first time that often changes when I smoke it the second time or, you know what I mean? So I, I think it's important for a taster. If, if I'm making a top 10 list, I can't just smoke. I personally, this is my standard. If I was going to make a list, I couldn't smoke a cigar once and put it on my top 10 list. Now, if I'm going to put make my top 10 list be new cigars, well, I obviously can't have smoked it 40 times either. Right. I can't have that consistency, but I want to smoke at least two, three, four times to go, okay. Yeah. This cigar really is worthy of being in my top five cigars of the year. I, I, I feel comfortable in my, my opinion of it. I, I can vouch for that a hundred percent. I know half wheel, they, each guy does three, a minimum three, three cigars. Yeah. What they do is they actually, they take the ones that are the highest rated over the year and then they come back to, to the tail end of the year. And then each of the three reviewers, okay, get to smoke the cigars. They, the, the original reviewer has to smoke it again. I don't know how many of them they have to smoke, but they all have to smoke it. And then they sit down and they kind of beat their heads together as to what's going to be theirs. Now, I don't know what the power struggle is between the three of them. I don't know if one person's opinion has more weight than another person's opinion. I don't know how ties get argued and how that works sure. out. That's where I was them. where I was going with that is I know on their just their their everyday web reviews they smoke three and our our shift this year to less shows more web reviews. We typically do twenty two ish shows a year, so that's twenty two cigars that are eligible for our top ten list. Right. In lieu of doing that many shows this year, I stepped up our online reviews and we're going to have over 40, 40 cigars reviewed on the website this year. So we're going to double our usual. So that pool of 22 just got blown up to 40 potential uh, top, top, top 10 candidates. And, you know, what we used to do was we would smoke one on the show. And obviously I'd, I'd write down every single impression from the four of us, three of us, whatever. 
And then when it came time at end of the year, we would bring out whatever, all the other extras we had left and refresh our memories. And we'd sit around the table and smoke them all and compare notes. And and we kind of just revisit them as best we could. But what's been different this year is when I get, because we're doing so less shows for the first time, when I get samples uh, or if I go out and get, you know, I want to smoke something, you know, I'm for the first time ever in the history, you know, eight years, I'm smoking more than one for the review itself. And you're right. It's, it's really been eye opening. Uh, that first initial impression coming back two days later. And I, I, I think we were doing ourselves, we weren't doing ourselves a disservice. We we're doing the best we could and we were having fun and we we're doing, you know, it was fine. It's a cigar yeah, media. Nobody's no getting hurt. Science. Nobody's right. Yeah, I mean, there are no rules. Nobody's getting hurt. But I'm realizing now just how good some of these cigars really are that are consistent. And a, a lot of them shock me. I'm blown away by a cigar and two days later I'll smoke another one and it's even better. That's what's awesome. Again, I think every website, every YouTuber, every whatever, you come up with your own criteria, you come up with your own standards, you come up with your own practices, and you generate your own list. And I think that there's enough lists out there that I don't – it's not like back in the day where Cigar Aficionado's top 25 was the gospel, right? That's just not the case anymore. Um, you know, there used to be people would walk in the shop with a whole list of all 25 and they'd want one of all the 25 cigars. Nowadays, if you don't get number one on that list, it barely moves the dial at all. I mean, it can help if you're like a smaller unknown company, you can kind of get in that top five. Um, but for the most part, there's just the whole list thing has been so democratized at this point. And the other thing too is, I mean, you're basically seeing a daily list. By just looking at your social media feed, by what photos people are posting and what they say they like. And that's in some way even almost a better, you know, way for you as a consumer to actually find cigars because you can find people that have some like I will That's actually the reason why I I really do like the uh the half wheel list is that it's like a time capsule of each year. Yeah, but you know, so every now and then you go back three or four years and you look at what was hot and trending there, and it just uh, I like seeing the kind of ebb and flow of of that those kind of uh, marketing. Is there a lot that were at the top of these lists five, six, seven years ago, and they're out of business? They're dead brands. They're complete closeouts. And if they were really that good, they wouldn't have been that. I mean, the question is, what does it take to make a cigar to become the next Padron anniversary? What does it take to make a cigar that can become an Opus X? What does it take to make a cigar that can become a Liga Pravada? You know, one that, you know, a Liva V that bridges the gap, that yeah. goes in a much bigger consumption consistently, yada, yada, yada. That's really, because well, in the end, sales do end up dictating what ultimately the market says is the best and isn't the best. Sure. Uh, I, I actually do have a thought on what could become the next League of Bravada, but I'm going to save that for just a little bit. Real quick, Steve, before we move on from the media, uh, this is very inside baseball, but people at home, please bear with me here. You recently expressed some good-natured criticism yourself of cigar re- reviewers breaking the smoking cigar experience into thirds yeah. for their reviews. 
almost everybody does it, including myself, half wheel. Why exactly? A couple of different parts to this question. Why does it irk you that we break it into thirds? And what method would you prefer in its place? I like a more, ideally a more polished, streamlined, like bulk review, or do you want it yeah. like into fifth, sixth, eighths? No, God, I, I suck. We I can't think, get it into eights. I think that trying to put everything into thirds is ridiculous because some cigars have a lot of transitions. Some cigars don't have very many transitions at all. I, I, I really think that honestly, what most of you in the media do for reviews could be accomplished in two paragraphs and would actually give the consumer a much more usable piece of information that they could actually use as a guidepost for them to select. Their so, cigars. so a more, a more, I think, I think, I think most cigars can be distilled down to some rather basic information that really can be just shown in a table. How was the draw? How was the burn? You know, just the basics. What was the strength level? Boom, boom, boom. What are the prominent taste notes? Earth, chocolate, coffee, spice, and then a paragraph that kind of describes a cigar smoking experience. And I think bim, bam, boom. I think that I can, and you're talking to the guy that doesn't read or digest anything. I mean, I'm guilty of writing more words on the internet than any motherfucker on the planet. We all know that. Anyone that follows me on Facebook. I was about to say, I, I love following I, I, you I'm, on I'm, I'm fully aware of the hypocrisy here. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> when it comes to cigar reviews, because I'm going to tell you right now, we as manufacturers, we as people that blend cigars, we do not do it this way. It's a much, much much more tighter kind of package that we're doing. Of course Uh, not. But, but if we did a more polished, uh, structured, basically Amazon review, a paragraph of the, the experience from start to finish, then I couldn't kind of wax poetic on how the Toto Solstius reminded me of my grandpa taking me to Arby's when I was five years old. And you know the beef and cheddar, the aroma coming off bullet of it. Bullet points, just just stick to the bullet points, please. I I don't need but to hear yaks, yak yeah, boy. People want to hear my stories about my this. childhood. So I don't need I, to read. Look, when I see as, these reviews, I read them right. But even of my own cigars, I just skip to the bottom. I very read, very seldom read ninety percent of what you guys put so much effort and time oh, you, in. You should, you should read it. It's, re- it's really, it's I fascinating. Go all the way to the bottom. I see what the final paragraph is. I see what the score is. And then if it's like really wonky where like the score is like a 36, then I'll go back and read the review. Okay. But if it isn't some like crazy number that is like really catching me off guard, I, I, I don't even read the rest of it. And if, if me, the narcissist, okay, it's I'm not even taking the time to read what people are writing about my cigar. Okay. If I'm not willing to commit that effort, I have to wonder how many consumers are. And I also, I, I just, but again, this is my opinion. And guess what? Steve Saka can start his own cigar review site and he could do it however the hell he wants. And no, so no, I, I would privately message you telling you you're fucking it up. Yeah. <laughs> and there's extreme. <laughs> ramifications for your dangerous actions and look and i and i had a cigar review site remember mostly a future taste test yes i mean and uh and kind of what i'm describing is kind of the way it was uh and uh it's uh and we had it was kind of like a little bit of a blind man's puff because basically i let them 
do all of the the criteria stuff and give comments on each of the section. And in the end, I basically wrote a summary paragraph telling people what idiots I thought they were, which of the three panelists I thought was the one that was on spot. And I would add my two cents and I would move on my merry way. Um, um, but there's no right or wrong. No, there's but, not. But, but Steve, but I, 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 I wish you guys did the third thing because it's just easy. It's like a formula. It's like, okay. okay. Boom, well, boom, boom. I didn't so know what your answer. A romantic comedy, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was about to say. Girls, well, guys, guys, they don't get along. Working class. She's a little bit, a little uppity. You know, I boom, get you. Boom, I get you. Boom, I, boom, I, I, I get put together somehow. In the end, you know they're going to end up together, and there's going to end up being a really cute dog and a baby. It's like yeah, it's the hero's rejection that you guys all use, and I. I don't that, know, man. It, hey, that retro hail was harsh, but that draw made it see the light. That yeah. that draw that draw took its hand and walked off into the sunset with it. Uh, well, to Shay Saka, I anticipate you answering that differently. So this Friday, I'm dropping my SakaCon review, and I preemptively broke it into tenths. Oh so yeah, I, there you go. I do it every tenth of the cigar. <laughs> That's gonna uh, be boring. <laughs> no, I, I just. I, I want you to, to read it, that, damn it. At least draw lines on the, you know, like have like a little thing with it's lines. Like, it's like literally every like seven tenths of an inch is what that comes out to be. Oh, dude, I should do it I, by the, I should do it by the inch. First inch, second uh, inch, inch. I know you've done a whole bunch of really creative and cool bands, but the still was probably my favorite. It's a nice band, isn't it? It's very <laughs> simple, but it it just jumps off at you. Uh, let me it's, say this. It's a, it looks simple, but that's actually a really difficult band to execute. Actually, boys, I'm going to really talk is. about... I want to introduce the Stillwell here, uh, but first, while we're speaking of cigars, imagine that we're talking about rolled up dead leaves with Steve Zaka. Let me just take a quick moment here uh, to tell everyone at home about one of Drew Estate's latest creations. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, the 20-acre farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by, dude, this sounds like something Sako would write, a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. 20-acre farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa, blended with the tut, opulent, or opulent? Opulent. I'm saying opulent. Yeah, it's been a while. Opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly grown one harvest at a time. I've seen him do it. He goes out there every night and he tucks the plants in with a blankie and he gives them a little thing of milk by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. Boys, we've been to Claremont. It's a lovely little part of the country. We've been to that tobacco field. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that right now because Jeff himself is having to participate day in, day out on the harvest because of a labor shortage. Oh, labor shortage. Well, Steve, uh, right now he really is to get the crop in. Steve, I, I usually just say this commercial and, and, and breeze on by, but you announced yesterday, I believe on social media that you are finally moving forward with a new product utilizing Jeff's Florida sun grown tobacco, the black Angus. Is that right? That is correct. Anything? Uh, it, first of all, it's a good thing you didn't call it the big chungus. 
Cause yeah. then you would, we'd be in litigation, pal. That's my nickname. The other thing too, someone warned me today to be really careful with the type setting that I don't drop the G cause it could be kind of disastrous. And, yeah. <laughs> or you'd be a hell of a chess player. <laughs> uh, tell us about the black anus, uh, the black Angus. Sorry. Um, you know, uh, look, this has always been a bit of a point of contention between Jeff and I. Um, I've never been a particular fan of that seed variety. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, as much as there's certain, there's certain blender cigars and certain factory cigars that just don't work for my palate because they use certain materials. Like I, I don't tend to like blends that are very heavy in allure out of the Dominican Republic. Allure is just one of my least and favorite tobaccos. And I'm not saying that it can't be used well as an ingredient, but for me, there, there's a point where too much allure is not a good thing. And on the flip side, there are other consumers, smokers out there that love the flavor of it. And some of their favorite brands are ones that are very allure heavy. And that's the same thing with the case of this particular tobacco. The seed variety for me is one of the ones that I find more challenging for my palate. So. I really wanted to, I wanted to take a crack at seeing if I could make an FSG that, uh, that I would really, that I would like. Um, but at the same time, um, the challenge too is you have a lot of fans of Florida Sun Grown, right? That, uh, and you don't want to, you don't want to strip away what makes a cigar with Florida Sun Grown, Florida Sun Grown, right? You, you have to leave that essence in there. It's like, okay. I don't like lobster, but I love steak. So I'm just going to figure out how to make the lobster taste like steak. That's just not, that's not really fair, is it? You know what yeah. I mean? So I have to find a way to make the lobster in a way that, okay, I like the lobster like this. And, and so it was a, it was a really challenging project and it kind of began with, because it's a leaf that I don't personally tend to favor. It's also one that I am less familiar with working and fermenting. So the front end of this project for me was just figuring out how to ferment the tobacco to get the ingredient to a point where I wanted it to be so that I felt as though I could make it into a blend that I would personally find palatable. So that was kind of a double challenge in this one. It wasn't just, oh, blend a cigar with some finished tobacco because I took the tobacco from the farm um, in a farm bale. So I got the tobacco raw. Uh, coming out of the barn and I had to actually go all the way from the beginning to the end. And of course, me being the moron that I am, I couldn't just say, Oh, well, you know, give me something there in the middle. No, I said, Oh, you know what? Give me those top leaves that nobody wants. The super strongest, <laughs> the most, the most FSG of the FSG leaves. Those are the ones I said, Hey, that's what I'm going to figure out how to make it work, you know? And, uh, you know, you always got to go for the challenge and look, it's taken me, uh, Took me, uh, took me two years to get to the point that I am now where I'm finally ready to actually start to make some cigars. Now, did those age and ferment in, in Claremont or did you take them straight to Hoya? No, they went straight. They didn't go to Hoya. They went, uh, they went down to a leaf processor in Nicaragua. Okay. Yeah. So Hoya, Hoya doesn't even have a tobacco right now. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I gotta, I gotta get it over to them. In fact, right, well, I, I am, uh, honestly, Curious about this one, Steve, because I, I'm with you. I have not yet had a, to be honest, uh, I have not yet had a, a cigar featuring Florida Sun Grown that I've, that I've 
gone gaga over. So, uh, Godspeed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope this, this I hope this, this, I hope this, this is it. One you may not either, but I, I, I think, uh, I, and I, I, and I realize how weird that is after I just did a commercial for the 20 acre farm. Yeah. But the good thing is, is that I like the 20 acre farm. And it's there's a the lot of people that, that do love like. the, A lot of people do love the 20 acre farm. In fact, um, I'm not as familiar with 20 acre farm, but, um, Aganorsa makes, uh, I think the 25th anniversary or something using Jeff's FSG is the one with the silver band. And of all the FSG cigars I've smoked, that's been the one for me that's been my favorite of the lot before um, this one. This one, yeah, this one's, yeah. But anyways. <laughs> but I, uh, we, we, we wait with bated breath. And Todd, to your point, I do like the 20, I did enjoy the 20 acre farm far more than the FSG from Drew Estate. Um, okay. Um, well, Obviously, touch. It's an interesting project, and I think uh, it's uh, the the only bad part is because I took the 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 King Corona leaves. There isn't that much tobacco. I mean, I'm not going to be able to make that many cigars, right? And, uh, and the truth is, there is none of that tobacco available from this year's crop. So the tobacco that I have is probably all the tobacco that I will have to work with for the next two years. Oh, wow. That's um, it. And, and well, I, that... and I destroyed, and I destroyed a third of the tobacco during the fermentation process of what I did have going through. Cause I, I tried, tried about five different fermenting techniques, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there, kept shoving into all these different balloons. So I could just kind of get a feel for different temperatures and different turns and, how much to wet it and how much to starve it of water. And, you know, so it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of experimentation. I, I put a lot of time into this project and I want to look, Jeff's my friend and I want to do something that he's going to be proud of. And I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to make, I wanted to make the absolute best FSG cigar that I could. And I hope that when consumers have the opportunity to smoke it, that they'll regard as one of the best FSGs ever, but they may not. You know how that works. I mean, it's, uh, we'll see. Well, I can't wait to smoke it. Uh, will that be a Corona cigar company exclusive or are you, is that going to be DTT all the way? Um, no, I, I'm not distributing it. I'm just, a, I'm just the blender and then okay. I'll be, and I'll be, uh, supervising the production of it. But, um, no, that cigar is being delivered to Jeff. Now I know that Jeff sells. I don't know. I don't know what Jeff does. So I know some FSGs are sent nationwide and other FSGs are just sold exclusively at Corona. Um, maybe because of the limited amount of tobacco that we're talking about here, it may end up being where he keeps it, you know, just for him. But I, I, my job is to blend. My job is to put cigars, make cigars. Gotcha. It's his job to figure out what to do with them and okay. how so much this they're is- going to be and. So this is kind of like a a red meat lovers where Abe at smoke in gets to decide the, you know, how it's presented, how it's distributed. You're, you're, you're just making these guys. Right. Well, oddly enough, red meat lovers is changing this year. Red meat lovers is actually becoming a full nationwide brand that Dunbar distributing. Yeah. In 2020, in 2023. I get my shit together. I'm already making the cigars, so it's really going to be a package. That is that is one of that is one of your few uh, get your stick, shit together. That is one of your few sticks, Saka, that I've never smoked. Really? Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's in the it's in that whole Mike Rita kind of genre. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It, 
if you like me, K Rita's and you like Umbagogs, then red meat lovers is a variation. It's not the same blend, but I think it's in that same kind of, uh, chewy, dark, oh, badass. Yeah. It's that, it's, it's that, it's a broadleaf blend. It's um, very Hoffman esque. Yeah. So, yeah. But I you, think it's, tut, uh, tut, you, tut, tut, <laughs> I just tut, derailed him. I like this. What that actually means. I'm trying to. I, I think he means picture, that Hasselhoff. Picture David Hasselhoff with a rattleskin vest smoking um, red meat lovers. And then with his, you got Hoff and S. With his fucking uh, pet Puma sitting at his feet. Uh, here's the thing about that movie, Steve. That big pussy between the ears. Mm. <laughs> can we just take that audio of Steve talking about stroking that pussy and can we use that? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but here, here's, yes. here's the thing about Hasselhoff as a martial artist. He's like eight feet tall. So when he does a swinging leg kick, he kicks like 10 bikers in the face. It's the most absurd. And he's very awkward for a tall guy. Like, I don't know how he was supposed to be a lifeguard all those years. Like, he's very lanky and just kind of. We just ran straight the entire time. We just <laughs> run that way. Uh, well, that's true. All right. Well, let me, uh, I, I know Steve's got a, a little bit of a, a time crunch here. So let me, I want to keep things moving. I'm okay. I'm okay. until I told my, I, I said, I'm doing the Cinderella thing. Oh God. What happens at midnight? Well, that's why I got to get off. <laughs> we don't hey, want to see it, that. Wasn't Angela Lansbury involved in one of those midnight turn into a pumpkin things? Anyway. I don't want to bring that bitch back up into things. Oh, she's a national treasure. Universal oh, treasure, damn Angela it. Angela Lansbury. Fuck you, Angela Lansbury. You know what you did. Do not well, speak ill of the dead. That's going to come to haunt you, my friend. Uh, I told her I'd see her in hell. I know where I'm going. I know what's happening here. God, I'm probably going to have to share like a bunk bed. Actually, I that. think she told you that. <laughs> she did. I'll see you in hell, Matt Cade. <laughs> I didn't have the guts to stand up to Cigar Coop, but I tweeted some really mean shit at Angela Lansbury. <laughs> I got I got a big old donkey dick when it comes to insulting old English broads. All right, anyway, the last time you visited Osaka, uh, you just released. Actually, I think they were on. They you had just uh, announced the release. Of the initial four blends in your, I'm going to say, I'm going to use this word, revolutionary Stillwell Star line of cigars, which brings the worlds of pipe and premium cigar tobaccos together. On the last show, you went deep into the process of the pipe tobacco masters that you worked with, the different lines. I'm curious, how has this, over the last 12 months, since we talked to you last, how has the Stillwell line performed for Dunbat, Dunbarton over the last 12 months? Are you, are you happy with it? Surprisingly, surprisingly well. Um, it's doing, it's actually doing better than I expected. Um, you I, were, you were, you were, you were honestly trepidatious. You were kind of like, I have no clue how this is going to go. Such a, such a strange cigar. They're all strange cigars, right? Um, but yeah. you know, but, but there are now winners and losers being shaken now. Um, oddly enough, the one that I like the best is the one that sells the least. Please don't say, like please least. don't say the aromatic. Is it, it's not the aromatic number one, is it? No, the aromatic sells the most. Okay. That's my favorite. Yeah. That, that, and guess what? You are, 
you are four to one with consumers over the one that sells the least. Is four to one? Yeah, four to one. I've I've tried the Bayou and the Navy. I'm curious as to as to whether they made the list or the cut or not. Yeah, the the Bayou is the one that's the weakest seller commercially. Yeah, it's that um, damn. But dude, here's the thing about the Bayou, Yak Boy. I gave you one to smoke the other day. Have you visited it yet? I have not yet. No. The Bayou. I will give it this. I've smoked a lot of cigars that have incorporated Perique tobacco. Yeah. I love Mark down in Louisiana on his, on his, uh, I don't want to say farm, but his, uh, facility there. It's an amazing facility. What he does with Perique is just incredible. But whether it be the Pappy, whether it be the natural, uh, aka the LaRouten line from, from Drew State, I have, I had never smoked, uh, Perique tobacco in a cigar that agreed with me until that bayou. Now, granted, it wasn't my favorite of the, of the blends, but it was by far you made Perique tobacco the most approachable in a cigar blend that I've ever had. Well, I think part, and that may be part of the problem too. I think for, I think for some consumers when they smoke still well, they're they're expecting more of that infused cigar experience and stillwell does not give you that stillwell is a much more subtle expression and the yeah. bayou and the bayou oddly enough of the four is the one that's probably the most subtle expression but oddly enough i think it's the one that most mimics the pipe um because it's just so quintessential to how a vapor blend smokes in a pipe it Vapor blends start off really mild. Okay. They start off very easy going and they start off with a lot of like bright notes. They're often referred to as citrusy or lemony or something like that. And then what happens is as you get into the bowl, the strength then starts to slowly build. But by the time you get to the bottom of the bowl, the perique is that umami, that mushroom, that kind of weird, like, how do you describe that meat sensation becomes very prevalent. And it becomes a rather potent smoke. So the bayou starts the mildest, but ends the strongest of the four, which again is exactly how a vapor bowl smokes. Um, and it starts with that brightness in the beginning from the Virginias. And then the Perique, as you get into it, the Perique gets hotter and hotter and hotter as you smoke it down. The Perique kind of starts to take over more of the experience. I think that, I think that that cigar is really. I think it's a difficult one when you're telling, because consumers interpretation, cigar consumers interpretation of pipe smoking is pretty much only two things. And for 90% of them, it's the aromatic style of pipe tobaccos, right? That is it. And then probably the second one after that is that kind of English style with, you know, the Latakias and the Orientals. Uh, And then the whole other rest of the pipe universe, the Balkans and the Scottishes and all of those different variations because they have a million different genres. That's really part of the realm of the, of the, of the geeker really into the pipe kind of pipe guys smoking experiences. Right. right. So, but I wanted to make still well, not just focus on all aromatic. I wanted to kind of give a, a wider expression because that's part of what makes the line interesting and intriguing, but understanding that, the chances of all four of them being commercially successful equally was probably very unlikely. 
Yeah. Um, uh, well, there, there's actually a pretty high chance. We only have a few weeks here left in the 2022. Uh, there's actually a pretty high chance. Last time I looked, I need to reevaluate the the spreadsheet. That aromatic number one might make it into our list. I, I really enjoyed that cigar a lot. And a lot of consumers do. It it reminded me, well, it didn't remind me at all of this cigar I'm about to mention, but I I appreciate the the thought and the calculation put in to it. Um I wish when I smoked Riste's Munchies Rocky okay. Road cigar, which I enjoyed. I actually, I really I enjoyed. I haven't had the opportunity to smoke it yet, so I don't have a comparison. I actually enjoyed, I enjoyed the Rocky Road. I, re, I wrote a review for it earlier this year, but there is a part of the cigar geek in me, as opposed to just the casual consumer who goes in and, and grabs uh, a cigar off the shelf or in the Munchies case, a bag of cigars in a, in an ice cream, uh, decorated bag. I, at least with, I appreciate with the Stillwells knowing about your collaboration with the pipe masters and right. the tobacco and the tobaccos used. Whereas with the munchies, kind of like I'll make the comparison to an, I don't smoke acids, but if you smoke a good acid, I don't know what I'm sm- I don't know where these flavors are coming from. I don't know what this tobacco has been through. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. I don't know if Riz stays in his backyard with a, a tub of Rocky Road ice cream and a big mortar and pestle. Just you know, he's got the crank barrels. Like yeah, a, I don't know if he's like the Chinese farm. It's like the Chinese with those donkey dicks, just grinding that shit down. Like I, I have no idea. I haven't, I haven't smoked the Rocky Road, but I'm assuming it's more flavor forward on on the, on the flavor notes. It, it was, it, but it, but it reminded me. I only bring it up because it was subtle. It was, if you just gave it to me and didn't tell me what I was smoking, I would know that something's up, but not like to the degree of an acid. Right. I, I would just be like, oh, wow, that's, that's a little too chocolatey to be just natural. Are we talking about the Rocky Road or are we talking about the aromatic number one? We're talking about the Rocky Road. Okay. The, the aromatic, I could, I could read your, your descriptions and then, as a as a guy who likes to be educated a little bit when it comes to cigars, don't try to teach me other shit. Right. I actually started looking into those tobaccos you use to see what experiences that they delivered. And it, it was kind of a, an education and it, it made sense to me, whereas the Rocky Road was total mystery. But I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I dug it. And I'm not going to get in at all to that cigar media debate on whether it's I like Riz Day. He's a cool dude. Uh, we're both Chicago Bears fans. We're both good. We're, we're, we're both Bears fans. So I just, I don't even understand why it's a discussion from my perspective because look, we all get to choose what we consume, right? There's people out there that love infused vodkas and there's people that, I mean, love their apple gentlemen, apple jack, and they love their maple bourbons and all of those things. And I mean, it's, I, I just think is, is it a satisfying experience for the smoker? Does it give them a chance to relax? Do they enjoy it? Does it and take them away from their, I don't think, I don't think anybody is the arbiter of good taste. 
No, I don't think so either. And that's why I would, I would never just the arbiter of your own taste. Yeah. And I I find it very hard to be, and look, I never smoked ass. It was never my cup of tea, but yet I was president of a company that half of our production was making acid cigars. You know what I mean? So I personally don't understand acid as a consumer for me personally, but there's obviously a segment of the population that finds it really enjoyable Otherwise, it wouldn't be such a, a huge success that it is. So who am I to poo-poo what exactly. they like in a cigar? It's not if it helps if it helps you get through the day or it makes it brings you joy in life. Who am I to poo-poo that? Yeah. I mean, that's you say that. It's not like it's not like they're hiding what they're doing, right? Well, they're very they're very clear with the consumer. This is infused cigar. This is this. This is this. This yeah. is that. And while I would be curious to know what. The, do. I would be very curious to know what risk days infusion process is. I don't need to know. And Tut, you with your laissez-faire, if it makes you happy, go for it. Every time we Zoom to catch up and I'm drinking uh, watermelon four locos, I see your eyebrow raise, you judgmental. But I don't tell you that, but I don't know. I see it on that. I see it on your face, Mr. Whatever makes you happy. Oh. But I don't burn you down. Verbally. But you're not, you, you got to also accept that people are always going to be judgmental, right? I mean, oh, and I'm a judge. I'm a judgy yeah, SOP. We're yeah. all judgy. It's well, just, I mean, <laughs> well, Steve, I love the Air Mag Number One. We've talked about the Bayou. Uh, Tud also said he, he he enjoyed the Navy. Can you please, since we're about where are you guys at? I'm about halfway through this bad boy. Can you please uh, tell us and our listeners and our viewers? A little bit, you followed the pipe, uh, pipe, pipe lenders traditionally do a holiday blend and you have followed suit, uh, with Stillwell Star to release a holiday blend 2022 cigar. You had mentioned online that you envisioned this experience like sipping a cup of hot cocoa with marshmallows by the fireplace yeah, in the holiday. That's the flavored profile that I get out of it. It's got a, it's got a nice chocolatey note. It does have a, I don't know what you, about you boys. I am getting a delicious milk chocolate. I'm not getting the marshmallow, but I am getting a delicious, uh, sweetness that is in the milk chocolate vein. And we all, interesting enough, Steve, we went three different ways tonight, pairing wise. Uh, I'm drinking, uh, some Cabernet. I thought maybe that, cause when I picture the holidays, I, I grew up around an Italian family. Everybody's drinking wine. So I went, I went Cabernet. Uh, Yak Boy is drinking a, uh, seasonal winter, uh, Christmas ale from Texas's okay. own, uh, St. Arnold's Brewery. And Tut, you're on scotch, correct? Yes. So we got wine, beer, and scotch with the hot. Can you tell us a little bit about the holiday blend still well star? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a different aromatic blend with a different casing. Um, and I think that, uh, it's a little more, it's kind of, I think actually the filler tobacco on this pipe blend is actually sweeter than the aromatic. It is. Um, but, but separate of that, this aromatic one, I chose not to sweet tip it because I thought that adding the sweet tip to it, actually took away from the aromatic pipe tobacco in it. I didn't feel like it complimented it. So it's oddly enough more sweet, but less sweet. You know what I mean? Because it's, I think it's more sweet in the smoke, but it's less sweet on the lips. 
that is where it, have, it doesn't have the sweetened tip on it. That's and, when I when I read your description of it, I immediately uh, when I put it in my mouth, I'm like, okay, no sweet tip. Right, but no sweet tip but even on part. but even on the cold draw, that sweetness was coming through loud and clear on the cold draw. And then it, it just immediately develops upon ignition with that milk chocolate. It's, it's a, it's a really delightful, just. And I, I, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you didn't sweeten the tip in it. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that you're right. Uh, but you're fucking right. Uh, it was, uh, I was not in the mood for a sweet tip tonight, lit it up, but there's plenty of sweetness coming off of it. I do get the chocolate coming across, uh, the retro hell. People get on the retro hill. It's very, very nice. There's a little bit of light pepper through there. Uh, there's a, just a hint of leather, but a lot of times you're just getting that nice chocolate note, but there's also a little bit, just a hint of gram that comes in this section of the cigar. I don't want to like label it's whether the it's middle third here, the middle third here. Break it into thirds. Break it into thirds. It's the middle third of the cigar. Let's, let's. <laughs> No, the other thing too is the the pipe blend. You know, it has a, it has a little bit of a has a little bit of cubed burley in it, um, and burley is traditionally a strong tobacco that's used in pipe blends, but it's used very measured in the blend, and that's kind of where the spiciness is coming from. And then we've also cavendished that burley, so it also kind of helps to um, round it a little bit. So it takes some of the sharpness off the burley, but yet it leaves some of the depth of it. And I think, um, I think the holiday aromatic style blend that I made this year, I think I prefer, I prefer it over the aromatic number one personally. I would um, love to see this holiday blend become a core line because well, which I haven't enjoyed it that much, which I haven't decided how I'm going to do this or not. I obviously have to make more error of this holiday blend because I'm getting a tremendous amount of requests for it. A lot of consumers really like it. And look, it's it really my, good. Steve. It is my job to put cigars in boxes that people want. Um, what I have to figure out, does this mean you can only have so many cigars on a retailer shelf, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I can't just add it and say, okay, Mr. Retailer, Instead of you carrying four Stillwell stars, and I want you to always carry five Stillwell stars. And then what if next year the holiday blend is also a home run? Um, and then I have six, you know what I mean? So yeah. if I decide to add it to the core, it'll mean that I will have to probably replace one of the existing four core blends to in order to introduce this as a core blend. But I think, I think that's logically where I'm heading um, to do that. Um, so the question is, you know, which which of the four off the island does the current aromatic get bumped? That's hard because it's by far the number one seller. That's what kind of puts my favorite by you, the one that's the obvious child to be taken behind the barn and shot. Um, I mean, that's kind of you're you're far more business savvy about this stuff than I am, but is there a way that you know, on a very amateurish novice level? Can't you just have a battle royal like you're saying to where you've got your you got your your sales data and you're looking at which cigars are kicking ass 
And so instead of like, you know, adding stuff, you're just like, all right, we're not, we're not doing this, but can you also like break it down like region by region? Because sometimes cigars uh, in the East sell a lot better than cigars in the Southwest. Yeah, you, you could, you could, if I was a larger company with wider distribution, but we're really surprisingly, we're, we're not in that many shops. Um, I, you know, we, uh, we have a pretty limited retailer network at this point. We have a lot of room for growth uh, in that respect. And the reason why is I've been kind of letting the company grow organically. And if I wasn't allowing the company to grow organically, I would be in a total pickle because, I mean, uh, just the demand that we've had from the retailers that we do have, have way exceeded our capacity to produce yeah. across the board. And, but oddly enough, it seems like I'm everywhere because I'm in a lot of the very best shops in America, right? I mean, well, it, it is, it is kind of interesting though, because like you have, you have one of the bigger shops in Austin, uh, with the, uh, Habana house. They, they carry a lot of the Dunbarton stuff. But then, uh, this little cigar shop that I go to in Belton, I was surprised they actually carry the still, the, the still one. They, they don't carry anything else but, but the pipe lens. Yeah. Look, it's up to them. We, all we can do is offer. And look, we treat each brand as independent. So for example, you can't have Sin Compromiso if you don't carry at least three of our core brands. So yeah. that means so, between Sober Mesa, Brulee, Mike Rita, Umbagog, you know, you have, you have to carry those in order to carry Muestras or to carry a Sin Compromiso or, you know, like a unicorn or something like that. But if an individual shop just wants to open on Brulee, we'll open them on Brulee. Or if an individual shop wants to open just on Stillwell, we'll open them on Stillwell. You know, um, now of course they want to have Stillwell and Brulee Blues. Well, that's not the way this works. You know, if yeah. you want Brulee Blue, then you have to be an account that supports Brulee in order to be qualified for Brulee Blue because I can't make enough Brulee yeah. Blues to satisfy the demand that I have. So it's only it's only the right thing to do to make sure that the shops that support Brulee are the shops that are the ones that get Brulee Blue. Just the same way as the shops that support Mike Rita, they're the shops that are eligible to get Mike Rita Black. The shops right. that support Sin are the shops that get Paladin to Sokka's. It has to be that way. It has to make sense. You know, because I don't have enough of those, any of those particular cigars to ever go around. Yes. That's Sokka, kind of the way it works. Sokka, just because you mentioned it, um, knowing that we were talking to you this week, I revisited two blends of yours that I hadn't smoked very much of just to kind of, you know, do a little homework. Right. Do you think that Brulee Blue is one of the most slept on? Like, I can't believe I smoked it two nights ago. I'll tell you this and I'll see if you can guess the other one. Uh, it's kind of a trick question. I smoked one of, uh, Dunbarton sticks, which is the only Dunbarton stick, which didn't do much for me, uh, two nights ago. And then last night in preparation for the show, I smoked a brulee blue. My God, that brulee blue is something. Are, are, are you a little, di- are you a little disappointed that that thing does not get more love? That thing is, it's a total love you're talking about. Well, no, 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 I, not, 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 
uh, is this a Seinfeld moment where he's on uh, Larry King and Seinfeld's like, it's the number one show on television, Larry? <laughs> Stalker, are you surprised that Brule Brew got canceled? I mean, canceled. I just Brule Blue. Look, the problem with Brule Blue is that it's got a full year of age, so I just can't make enough of them. I can only, I I can make them, but it's very risky because okay, so Brule Blue's been super hot for the last two years, right? So, but when you get right down to it, it's a Connecticut shade Lonsdale with a baby blue band on it that costs for fifteen dollars. Okay. I mean, it's not exactly a winner. No, you, but when you, when you look at the stat sheet, this has got dog all over it is what this has got all over it. And particularly from the perspective of a typical retailer, there yeah. is no reason in hell that this cigar should ever, ever sell. The reality is it's a phenomenal cigar. So the retailers that do get it, okay, they they crush with it. And a lot of stores, they have customers that they're kind of like almost like Opus X for them. That they got customers that are like, when you get them, call me. I want two boxes. You know what I mean? There are people yeah, that no, I- orders for them and they consume them. So from my perspective, I right now am making like six times more brulee blue okay. than I've ever made. But right. I also have to be very cognizant of the fact that whatever I'm making today, I don't even have the opportunity to sell until a year from now at a minimum. And what if that cigar isn't hot a year from now? And here I went ahead and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars making an extra 10,000 boxes of Brulee Blue to now sure. find out that, well, it isn't the it girl of the moment. And now well, I, I, was shocked. I was shocked, Steve. I went, I smoked it and it had been a, a while. I, I, I do smoke quite frequently the, the regular Brulee. Um, and I found the brulee blue in my, in my humidor and I smoked it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing. What did we think of this? And I went to our website to see what we rated this thing. And we never, we never did the brulee blue. I don't know how that slipped through our grass. Dude, it is next level, just smooth as hell. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal smoke. If you guys listening or, or watching home, guys and girls, and uh, the thing about brulee blues. Is so like some consumers prefer the regular boule over the blue, but I can pretty much tell you who they are. The consumers that typically smoke mild, creamy Connecticut shade cigars, they prefer the traditional boule. The Macanudo smoke. Go Garga over the boule blue are the people that would rarely, if ever, smoke a Connecticut shade cigar. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a Connecticut shade cigar and it's not like a super spicy, like kick you in the teeth, you know, like, Oh, I just made a strong cigar. Not all the blue, but it's just, it's, it's almost like a different consumer that goes to the blue. Goes, Oh my God, this is amazing. It's a, it's a much, it's it's a much, it's a much, you have one, Todd. I, I gave you guys one. We just never reviewed it. So go ahead and smoke it. Uh, it, it, it's just a much more intricate blend on the brulee, uh, on the brulee blend. And yeah. Um, so that aside, later on the show, once you've left us, Steve, uh, we will be smoking the bewitched. Yeah. I like the bewitched a lot, which recently scored a 93 rating from yours truly on a TNCC website. 
Tut, you, knowing that you were going to smoke later in the show, the SokaCon, went ahead and smoked the Bewitch last night, and you told me, quote, holy shit. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a fucking amazing cigar. I think the Bewitch gets put in the same... There's certain cigars in my... Look, we all have our favorite children, right? Um, There's certain cigars in my portfolio that I think are just really, like, super, super world, world class. Knock it to Molly. Brulee Blue, Naka Tamale is one of them. I've always said that about Naka, smoking Naka Tamale now, actually. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think Bewitch fits in that category too, where it's like, okay, this, this is a really special, special cigar. Now, now, now obviously the, the Bewitched was a shop exclusive, but now yeah. it is available elsewhere. They were gracious enough to let you share the blend to the, the masses. For well, when uh, Yak Boy, you were going to be smoking the Bewitched in the second half of the show. So, Steve, could you tell us a little bit? Yep. The 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 Moisture Day Sockas. Um, well, this goes back to my little teaser earlier. Can you guess the one cigar that I smoked uh, last night? That the only oh, the only Dunbarton cigar that has never done it for me. Totus No. It's a trick question. It's a oh, kind of know. a trick question if you think about it. It it was the unstolen valor, which wasn't your blend. Which isn't my blend. Uh I I've smoked several a couple of them, and maybe it's because it's not your blend, but you liked it, obviously. You liked enough to put moisture to sock on it. Uh that the the, the stole, unstolen valor didn't do much for me, but the bewitched fucking blew my socks off it is a nuanced elegant cigar could you tell us a little bit about it yeah i mean i think the thing that's weird about the bewitched is it doesn't really have any super distinct flavor notes to it in other words you can't just smoke it and kind of like put it into four or five words say it tastes like this this and that it's just one of these smoking experiences that's just really enjoyable puff after puff. It's like really rich yet really subtle. It's really complex. It's really balanced. It's super, super smooth. It's not uber strong, but it's strong enough to keep you entranced in the cigar. And that's kind of where the bewitch name comes from is I, I just find the smoking of it. I just find it a very entrancing kind of experience when I smoke the cigar. Every time I light one, I'm like, wow, this cigar is really, really good. I mean, there's, there's, there's some of that cafe. There's some of that cedar. There's definitely a, a light spice to it. There's, uh, there's, you know, it's just, there's just something about that cigar that just is just so satisfying. It's, yes. uh, it's a really, it's a really, really great, great blend. And particularly in that particular size. And that's one of the beauties of all the Muestras is I don't have to try to make a blend that works to make an entire full launch of a line where, okay, it's going to be good as a Robusto and it's also going to be good as a Churchill. It's going to be, you know what I mean? Cause in the yeah. Wester, I just have to focus on it working in the one size. Yeah. And, and that, and that, that makes it a lot easier for you to like well, really dial in things like a Naka tamale. Yesterday, yesterday I had a probably 16 to 17 hours of just hardcore focus for a discrete math two final today. And at the end of the day, I was just spent and I was like, all right, I'm going to light this up because I don't want if, if the 
cigar I'm going to be smoking is that strong. I don't want it to hide this at all. And when I lit that up, it was just like satisfying is the greatest word for it because it was a lean back in your chair. Thank you. And you're right. There wasn't that one flavor note that just, oh, that that's this personality. There was this nice little brightness to it to where that that cedar almost transitioned to an upper level hop for a couple of times. And it was just just really, really good. It's Matter of fact, it, I, I told Kate, and I was like, what, what sucks is that I, I, I pretty much figured out what my number one was going to be, what my number two was going to be. And now I'm like, how, how am I even going to do a top five at this point? Well, Tut, I'm going to make it more difficult for you. Uh, if you're curious, Sokka, when I reviewed The Bewitched uh, last week on the TNCC website, it scored a 92.55, which obviously I rounded up to a 93. God bless math and the way it works. But <laughs> we call that the ceiling function. <laughs> In our review that's dropping this Friday, the SokkaCon racked up an impressive 92.725. Oh. So it just slightly <laughs> has an edge over your latest Moistra, for me at least. Yeah. Uh, you'll be smoking the SokkaCon later on the show. See, I'm gonna like, call. I'm gonna call it. I think the Sakakan. I've noticed in some of the reviewers. I think they're a little bit missing the point on that cigar. All, everyone's saying it's good, right? It's getting rave reviews too. The Sakakan, but I have noticed some reviewers say they find it too mild. Oh and, fuck and what, that! And what what I find really weird about that is, it's not that it's too mild. It's just it's a very big cigar. It's a seven by fifty four. So therefore. It is going to start off milder than most other cigars, you know. But by the time you get to the end of that cigar, there, there's a there, that's got quite a bit of oomph, I think. I I'll just say this: uh, if you would, because uh, Tut will be smoking that tomorrow night. Tell us a little bit about your inspiration behind the Sawcon, because. I, let me actually. I'm going to skip ahead. Let me just throw my thoughts out there first, and you can counter. Why not? Why Whatever you thought was correct, so I'm going to leave it alone. Oh well, then uh, this should this should get interesting fast. Yeah, 92.72. Who might argue with that? I'm not going to fight. Not going it's, to fight. it's a 93. After smoking two of those big bad bastards, does my comparison in my review, which will drop Friday, of the Mi Carita Black Sakakon to the Liga Pravada 9 Corona Doble resonated all with you. Do you sense without, let me just finish. Do you sense the resemblance between the two blends whatsoever? And if so, maybe unintentionally, was that a comparison you made? Because it reminded me so much of my initial Liga Pravada number nine Corona Doble experience. I think on some level, you had to know that the Saka Khan was ne- a next level marker for you. Look how intricate the box art is on the Saka Khan compared to the other Mikaritas. They have kind of a simple, simplistic, aesthetically pleasing box. The Mikarita Black Saka Khan, it's got like the argyle swirls. It is the, the, the intricate uh, artwork on the band itself. If you don't pay attention, you won't even see it. The the band is so black, but there is these. It is. It's so intricate you don't see it. It's on the blue and the red bands too. Tiny the little blue and the red bands. That same design is in there. 
Oh, I never, that's how <laughs> I never noticed. <laughs> it just stands out more on the black than on the well, like if, if I, Well, here's my whole thing. I was like, if Steve doesn't say that he knew the cigar was special, I'm going to call bullshit because he gave those other me Koreas these simplistic bands. <laughs> and the, and the, the black gets this jazzed up awesome same band just in black instead of blue. And instead there's of those it. little, the little design swirls. It's not every stuff. one of them. Oh, I never, and I yeah. smoked a lot of those. Yeah. Okay. It's a very subtle feature. Again, folks, why oh, if the oh, world, depending on your perspective, <laughs> if the world is about to explode and they designate an escape pod for cigar media, we're not getting invited on it. The dojo guys, the dojo guys, cigar coop, uh, Matthew tobacco, whatever, they're going to get shipped into space to look, to live on, to review cigars in on Mars. This is why we're getting left behind. I never noticed that. That's- I never noticed those, the, the, but, but, but you have to at least give me the box design is way better than the red and the blue. Yeah. Look, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a more, but oddly enough, it's really the, the box design is a very simple box. What's but it's impressive pretty, about the box is the silk screening. The silk okay. screening on the box is next level. And I, I well, can't take, and I can't take credit for that. I mean, the idea was mine, but Arliss was the one that was able to execute that. He's an amazing silk screener in Nicaragua. And I kind of threw it out to him and said, Hey, do you think that there's any way we could actually put this paisley pattern actually as a subdued? Uh, and cause it's, it's really, I mean, it's paisley. So, Paisley's the word I was looking for. Paisley, I, I, call, I called it, it, I called it Argyle socks earlier. Yeah, but it's Paisley. Um, you know, and, and Arliss was the one that was able to look, he made a lot of samples before he could finally execute. Cause the fact that how he gets it to wrap seamlessly down the sides of the box is just incredible. I mean, well, really, I, really I have to admit, I have to admit, Sokka, I have not seen the, I've only seen it on half wheel, which by the way, I'm not above giving shout outs to other cigar media. Unlike some people, uh, if you really want, uh, yeah, yeah, alert. <laughs> half wheel, man, they're the, they're the Kings. They, they sit on top of the mountain. They are, they are the cream of the crop when it comes to cigar media. I, I looked at like other cigar medias. I, no, they're the only, they're the only site that I actually, uh, read their reviews. I looked to them for when I was looking for the me Korea information. I went, I went, yeah. I got Sokka's notes, but then I went to them to see the actual visuals of the box because they were there at the trade show. They took great picture of the box. Half wheel rocks. I give Charlie all the props in the world. Those dudes work their asses off. And I, 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 I love what they, look, it's I the love what they do. job for three people, right? So yeah. it's, let me ask you this. Let me, how they, it's how they eat. So Saka, let me, let me ask you this. Do you read, uh, reviews of other company cigars on half wheel? I do the same thing. I skip to the bottom and I read that final paragraph and I, okay. I the notes the and then the, yeah. the score. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. Look, the thing about the half wheel reviews, and look, and Coop is good at this too. They'll put a lot of the history of of the product, so there'll be times where I'll refer I'll refer back up just because of just the industry part of me that'll want to look at that kind of information. But yeah, it's it it's also Google algorithm to where you know it part of the part of the algorithm is like judging how much merit your your article has so one of the things that they do is that and i hate this i'm like i want to buy a razor 
all of a sudden I go find out an article and it's like, all right, the razor was invented back in 1912. Here's five reasons why you might want to have a razor. Here's some of the cons against having a razor. And I was like, just tell me whether it's good or not. Sorry, yeah, I, I, I think in the case of half wheel, they are more retrospective about the brand and the brand's origin. So like if, if half wheel writes a review on me, K Rita black, they will almost always refer back to me, K Rita blue and me, K Rita tricky Traka and, and show you pictures, show you pictures it's, of every single right. me. It's, it's awesome. And as a cigar, as a cigar nerd, I, I I really appreciate what they do, and I like that they don't private message me hateful things. As far as uh, the, as far as the Pravada reference, the Liga Pravada reference, look, I have never sold me K Rita as a Liga Pravada alternative. That's, no, no, no. Right. I, I, but, not, you know, but you also have to understand that Liga Pravada was not an original. Liga Pravada was a recreation of the blends that I liked that Frankie Anesa used to make at the Villas on Factory. I used to smoke a lot of El Rey de Mundo Maduros broadly. And I smoke, I used to smoke a lot of JR Ultimates that he used to make. And I used to smoke a, a brand that, uh, you remember Hoya de Monterey punches or Hoya de Monterey and punch Rothschilds. I remember the Rothschilds. Those, right. So he was one of my favorite, uh, blenders that made these kind of, really full-bodied, really rich Connecticut broadleaf cigars. And Liga Bravada was really an extension of that cigar that I love that Frank used to make, but just doing it with better materials and more attention to detail. And but I think that's what longer. you've done with the SokaCon. And, I, and, and, look, and then, then Mi Rita for me is just another extension of that same genre of cigars just done. The blend is not identical. Of so course, obviously, not. It, shares, it shares the same wrapper variety, but it does fill the same kind of niche in the flavor profile. So, if you're a consumer that likes that style of cigar, then uh, Mi Rita is a good cigar to try. Now, whether you will like it better than a Liga Bravada, I can't say that to you. That's only a decision that you can individually make. But it makes sense to me that the consumers that were really in love with Liga Bravada. Back in 2007 and 8, 9 and 10 and 11, back in those early years, I think that they would probably really like me, K. Rita, because if I you had a lot of the very same boxes as far as an experienced smoking goes. Steve, if you if someone asked me today, I fell in love with the Liga Pravada, especially for some reason, I'm just in love with the Corona Doble, the original Corona Doble. Yeah. Uh, it was what made me fall in love with the, the Liga nine brand way before we talked to you and met you and started this whole podcast nonsense. But I think when we sp- spoke to you back in 2015, when Dunbarton unleashed the Sober Mesa as your first blend, right? And we were, we were also shocked that it wasn't, uh, uh, like a, a, a reiteration of your success with Liga Pravada. It was something way more subtle and nuanced. And, yeah. and on the other spectrum than Liga Pravada. And then we got the, the Mikarita Blue, which, uh, we reviewed, uh. It wasn't called Blue at that point. It was just Mikarita because there was. It was just Mikarita. We, we did the, uh, yeah. is it the Ancha? Ancho Largo. That would Ancho be Largo. And then we also Laura. did a, sh- we also did a show on the Firecracker. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be the Mikarita, the, the Firecracker. That's really going to be the one. And then we did the tricky truck, or then we did the 
the Micarada Red, and then we did the Tricky Traca, which was going to be the which is, which is red. Tricky Tracas are red. the ballsy, the ballsy Micarada, Micarita. Nothing was quite this. This the the Sakakan is what would have been easy to come out of the gate for at Dunbarton as your first cigar and been like, boom, I'm the Liga Pravada guy. Here's yeah, your new. Uh, compete head to head, and what's the point of that? And but no, they, I, I no. What I'm getting uh, to is, I, I respect that it took fucking seven years to get here. But I'm telling you, this is the Mikarita I've been waiting for. This the Sakakan took me to a place. And again, shameless plug: my review drops this Friday on the Tuesday Night Scarfer website. It took me to a mental space as a as a cigar nerd that I hadn't been to in a very long time, which was a Steve Saka blended broadleaf cigar, which had it all. It kicked me in my fucking nuts. It also tempered down at points and let me enjoy the nuances of the fillers. But I'm just telling you, I'm just going to call it right now. The Saka Khan is going to be so fucking huge for Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. I don't Tut, know. Tut, when you smoke this thing later, Tut, you are going to cream in your goddamn jeans. This look, thing, I'm going to laugh when next but the, year but the, the size the size hurts it though, right? Because not, not, not a lot all. of consumers, not a lot of consumers smoke, you know, seven by fifty four. And the other thing too is that me can read a black. That's an all day sucker, man. Even if you're a guy that smokes quick, that's a two hour plus cigar. It's, it's hard to power through that cigar and, you know, why smoke would it. you, why would you power through it? Just sit back. Oh, and I, I, I do it all the time. I come out here, I put a movie on, I light up. If it's two hours, I'm in heaven, but it, it does, it does cover the full length of a movie. You can actually for, for the average cigar smoker. Saka Khan's almost good enough for a whole football game. You can actually yeah. get a whole – there are a lot of people that – I mean, I've seen a lot of the time to smokes in the reviews being over like two hours and 45 minutes um, has yeah. been a pretty common mark for most of the reviewers so far. It's the equivalent of a middle-aged donkey dick. I mean, it's it's big. But on the flip side, look, I also – so it got a really good rating out of uh, Half Wheel, right? I think it got a 93. Um, oh, did it really? Yeah, like a 93. I think it was a 93. I don't want Brooks. To... Was it Brooks? Um, I think it was Brooks that did. Um, so that's what I was thinking in my head. Knowing what Charlie tends to prefer, I don't think it'll do as well with Charlie. You know what I mean? Because, and I could be wrong. I don't want to, you know, prejudge Charlie's opinion of the cigar. But I just think that I think just looking at the cigars that Charlie tends to lean towards towards, um, I don't think that me K Rita Black, I don't think he's gonna feel as uh I don't think he's gonna feel as uh effusive. I think he'll I think he'll say it's a good cigar because it's a great cigar, but I don't know that it's gonna hit him in the same way. Cause you can see, you know, Charlie loves like uh Hoya de Nicaragua numero uno. Right, that's one of his all-time favorite cigars. If, it's a good cigar. Game. I'm putting words in Charlie's mouth that isn't fair, but I just, I just no, remember when I read his review of that one. No, he's a big he, fan. You know how he really, are, really are loved. You, that. Steve, are you not a fan of the numero? 
I'm not not a fan, but I'd rather smoke a brulee blue. Personally, okay, and I think that there, I think there's cigars that are in similar formats that are of similar wrappers, and that there is some shared um, DNA between the two. Okay. So for me, I prefer the blue over the Uno. I'm sure if you talk to Juan, he would tell you he prefers the Uno over the blue. Of course, well, of course. I, we we actually uh, smoked the Ambassador size Numero Uno earlier this year. It was amazing. It was a very smooth, creamy, delicious smoke. Um, which I'm I'm not going to be shocked if it ends up on our on our end of the year list. Uh, but yeah, this was the Micarita I've been waiting for. Tut Tut smokes reds, blues like crazy. Umagobs. He's, he, he eats it all up and something was always, I enjoyed them. Right. But my God, man, the Sokka Khan from scratch that final itch. I will say, I'll say this, uh, Sokka, out of all the cigars we've, out of all 40 cigars we reviewed this year, I've never jumped online and ordered two boxes of any of them except the Sokka Khan. Well, thank you. I want that in my humidor and I want to smoke it a lot. It, it's, it, it just took me to a, a really special place and Tut, I can't wait, uh, in the second half of the you show know, to the other see. Thing too, Kate is not many manufacturers. I mean, we've gotten so pigeonholed as manufacturers to just making Toros and Robustos. Um, even retailers, they're like, they don't even want double Coronas anymore. Yeah. They don't want Coronas. They don't want double Coronas. They don't want. Was it just? Sarah. Was it just Robusto, Robusto Toro, and the sixty ring? Yeah, that's what they want. Like literally, that's 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 what the vast majority. Now look, there's exceptions to that, obviously, right? I mean, you have shops that you know like to have a wide spectrum. You have shops that focus on Figurados. You have shops that smoker focus on smaller ring gauges, and they do really well in them. But overall, yeah. Toro Robusto in a 60 ring gauge and bam, you've covered like literally 85% yeah. of all the cigars that sell in the U.S. market currently. And retailers, because there's so many brands in the marketplace and they're trying to feature so many on their shelves, they really have kind of like distilled it down to where, okay, we just got to have these three of every single brand that we want to stock on our shelves. And it which, really squeezes out a lot of cigars that are really which really sucks, Steve, because I, I was looking at my where my favorite cigars of the year were, and so many of them are odd figurados and odd. Uh, like I, I, I could, I, I was looking back at my my ratings, and I was like, all right, the uh, Tatuaje uh, creature, which was one of their monster cigars, it was like a very bizarre uh, short figurado. It was amazing. My favorite. Tatuaje stick of the year. And then I start looking at some of my other favorites and I'm like, these don't fit the general populace, uh, their demands. They're not Toros. They're, they're, they're weird sizes. And the Sokka Con is the ultimate example of that. It's, but, but know, it is a weird size today, but it used to be a staple size when I started smoking. A double corner yeah. was a requirement in yeah. every single line you released. A Corona was a requirement in every single line you released. You, you cannot get retailers to buy Coronas. You uh, just, 
Now, there's exceptions to that, right? But when I say exceptions, it's like one in 15 accounts that like will even entertain putting a Corona on the shelf and even giving it a chance in their store anymore. So as a manufacturer, it makes it really, really hard to do something. Like I already know, I know that if I make a Muester to Saka and it's in a Toro, it is just instantly going to outsell me making a Muester to Saka in a Lonsdale size. Yeah. I know that if I make a Lonsdale, I'm basically just giving away sales. Even if the Lonsdale is fantastic and it's perfect. And one of the, one of the sizes that I as a company have really championed is a kind of a weird size. I do a lot of things that are in that 648 kind of format. Um, and, uh, and I've been able to get away with it. Um, some of my, probably some of my most popular cigars, you know, the consumers that smoke a lot of my cigars are my 648s, like the Tricky Traca number 648 and, um, and like the Naka Tamale and whatnot. Um, and look, next year's Muwester de Saka is uh, a 48 ring gauge format. I'm able to get away with it, but it's, it's rather unusual at this point. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. Just, uh, I just want to interject with a quick tasting note on the Stillwater. Uh, still stay well. away. Still well. Sorry, musician. Whatever. Uh, the uh, stay yeah, away. My, I, the fifteen dollars and thirty cents. You can call whatever the hell you want. I don't give a damn. <laughs> I've tried to be professional, but after Scotch, <laughs> that goes out the window. Uh, stay away from the Scotch on it because the peatiness of it is just. You got to have a lot of separation there, otherwise it just kind of drowns out the flavors. That's the true cigars. with most cigars. Peaty scotches is one of the most difficult pairings. Yeah, it's a tough pairing. Let me let me ask you this, Steve. Uh, it's a very bizarre question, but I smoked one of Riste's uh, tyrannical buck cigars a few months ago, and it was a six and a half by fifty size. Yeah. And, and the size worked really well for me, but it was an unusual size. Yeah. Uh, and Riste called it a Robusto Extra. Yeah. And it didn't look at all like a Robusto. And so I actually reached out to Skip and I'm like, Hey, six and a half by, uh, 50. I think he said something like Robusto Grande or something. And it's like, well, perhaps I'm like, we need to come up with a new name for this size. It's a wonderful size. It really feels good in your hand. It delivers a wonderful smoking experience. If, if I were to ever try to blend a cigar, I just really love that, that size and ring gauge. Why is that? Why is six and a half by, why is that lumped into robusto territory? Well, shouldn't, it be, shouldn't it be called like a, a, because traditionally, fifty a fat ring Churchill, a fat Churchill, maybe. Well, see, this is where it gets really confusing because look, a, a classic robusto used to be a four and seven eighths by like forty eight or a five by fifty was a classic robusto by Cuban standards. Classic Cuban Churchill was a seven by forty seven. Classic Cuban double Corona was seven by forty nine. Okay, so. In the U.S. market, though, um, we and Toro was a really an American creation as a format. There was no Toro in the Cuban portfolio of Atolas. 
that six by 52. Um, really the first time, and I'm sure there's going to be a Habanos person out there that's far more, uh, familiar than me, but I think like in like the Cohiba was the very first time they released a, a like a, an American kind of sized Toro with a 52 ring gauge. So if you're using that as your, if you're using the old Cuban standards, a 50 ring gauge would be considered Robusto. So by calling it Robusto Grande or Robusto Extra, it's Robusto in girth, it's extra in length. It's Grande in length. And that's uh, what- Skip, Skip called it a Robusto Larga. Yeah, Robusto Larga, which is Larga is a word for long, right? So there you but, go. But I think, I think it's more of a Churchill, uh, 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 Grande. In the, US, in the U.S. market, Churchills used to typically be like seven by 50. American sizes have always been two to four ring gauges larger than the Cuban counterpart. So for us, Robustos were always like 52 and 54s. Right. Where for Cubans, they were 48 to 50s. Right. Our Churchills were typically like 50, 52s. Our double Coronas were traditionally 52s, 54s versus the 49 that it was in the Cuban. So, I mean, all of this terminology is very uh, fluid. I, I, I was, ju- I, was ju- I was just baffled how that that big cigar could be at all uh, associated with Robusto. But both those guys were Robusto Grande. I, I, I think for you do. For me, a Robusto implies that it's a short, fat cigar. Right. That's, that's, any, anything, that's kind of what I anything I, I long at, anything longer than five and a half. I'm not associating it with Robusto. But, but listen to me, I, I, I invent the term thick Lonsdale for that six by 48 format, right? It's cause the Lonsdale was traditionally six, six and a quarter inches long by typically a ring gauge of 43 or 44, right? And so here I am making a lot of six by 48s. I decided to call it a thick Lonsdale. I could have just as easily called it a short Churchill cause Churchills were traditionally 48 ring gauge. And here I knocked an inch off it. It's all just uh it's just I a, know but but it, it does fascinate me uh and maybe I got too wrapped up in the there's just there's just no there's no like standard lexicon okay. now we're dealing with more the one thing that I have learned over the last seven years though is all of this stuff it just confuses the average consumer and i've and you'll notice that I have changed my nomenclature on most things. You notice that, like, on me, K-Reader, when I first released it, it was Ancho Cordo, Fino Largo, Ancho Largo, Gordita. When I got the Tricky Traca, it was number 648, number 552, number 652. Straight up you know, size. When I, did, when I did the original Sober Mesa, it was El Americano and Cervantes Fino and Elegante and Cedros. When I got to Brulee, it became Brulee Robusto, Brulee Toro, Brule Gordo, Brule Double Corona, to because it just it just confuses consumers. Keep they don't the romance. Think, keep the romance to yourself. And the thing is, when I'm doing something that's a smaller production item that really isn't meant for as wide an audience, right. you can get away with that. The but moisture, your, right? But in your core line, you find yourself having to kind of you. I've learned that you're better off just kind of not trying to reinvent the wheel and not to be too difficult and not to be too confusing because the consumers can't keep, the retailers can't keep straight either. Cause if all of us are giving all of these Vitolo cutesy names, 
it becomes impossible to remember which one it is for them too. And so the only person that really knows it uh, is the manufacturer themselves and then the Uber fanboy of that particular manufacturer's cigars. But outside the two of us, it really just baffles the hell out of everybody else. Oh, and I, and I think that resonates true. Our, our fourth member, the doctor, who's not here tonight, when you ask him what he goes into a tobacco a cigar shop and looks for, he, his, his answer is Robusto. There you go. He looks for a Robusto on the box, on the label. He knows that's the size he likes and that's kind of what he goes to. And there, there are people like that. We call them weirdos. I would, I would argue that most we call them like weirdos. That. No. And most, and most people tend to smoke within their chosen format. There's not as many people that are willing to play the field. They'll, you know, they'll just, uh, they just, there are people that just pretty much smoke almost exclusively Toros. And there's people that just almost exclusively smoke Robustos. And there's people that almost exclusively smoke a double Corona. And and that's the way it is. Whereas, you know, for us that smoke a lot of cigars, Oh, we want this in a Corona. We want this and that. Boom, boom, boom. We, we like the variety. We like the difference. We can appreciate how the size impacts the cigar. Cause look, there are certain blends that you may like. Yeah, it was good. It was decent. But if you tried it in a different format, it may be perfect for you, but yeah. they, they don't leave their format. No, that makes sense. Um, okay, Steve. Well, my last, uh, question for you here. And I appreciate your patience. It appears on the surface as if 2022 actually produced some glimmers of hope and possibility, even some optimism uh, as far as the premium cigar industry's ongoing battle with the FDA and its nefarious mission to regulate your products. Some very logical, level-headed judicial decisions have been made recently that leaned our way. And I'm wondering... I hope as someone whose livelihood, not to mention their lifelong passion is creating very personal expressions out of these magical leaves. Are you, I think I know the answer to this already, but are you while acknowledging that the war is far from over? Are you breathing any easier in December, 2022? Yeah, absolutely. We had some big wins this year. We didn't have big wins. We had massive. I mean, look, we haven't gotten the final decision from the court, but there's really only two options for the court to go based on their decision. They're either going to reset the clock back to prior to the proclamation of the initial rule, which would take us back to May of 2016, okay? And it would require them to generate a whole new rule. And when they generate the new rule, it would have to satisfy the court's concerns about the rule that they just struck down. So it won't even be as easy for them to generate a new rule. Okay. Or, or what's actually legally more likely and what there's precedence for when you get to this level um, is for them to actually strike it all the way back to the tobacco control act, its origin and strike us all the way back down to there, which would basically make us a completely unregulated product that would then require Congress to intervene and pass a new law 
that was specifically in regard to premium handmade cigars right to then for the FDA to then pick up the ball so yes this was a uh, this uh, short of something coming out of left field that none of us are thinking about it's very hard not to see how this hasn't given us at least an 8 to 10 year reprieve yes uh, and, and and that's good. And the other thing, too, is and part of what's helped it a lot was, you know, because of legal pressure, you know, we forced the FDA to do a youth study. And guess what? The youth study determined that, well, guess what? You don't smoke handmade cigars. And it forced them to actually do a panel to study the health impact of handmade cigars and actually solicit for a real medical study. And the medical study that they generated showed that there was no higher incident. There was no reduction in lifespan or life expectancy in handmade cigar smokers if they were smoking two cigars a day or less. And, and the FDA acknowledges that the average cigar consumer smokes two to three cigars a week. So even at a level that is literally five to six times higher consumption yes. wise does not show them the health data that they're trying to use as a basis for regulating. And they tried to use that data and the judge basically bitch slapped them down and said, you're disregarding the data. Right. They're disregarding the data. Absolutely. And so, yeah, those were very major wins. And the other thing too, is I think that these things are in moments. I mean, I think that the FDA is much more focused on cigarettes. They're much more focused on flavored cigarettes, menthol. They're much more focused on vape than anything else. Um, and, uh, we, we, we may be okay. And I'll tell you where we're not. I mean, ultimately it's hard to imagine a long-term future for combustible tobaccos. I, I don't know whether it will be, um, you know, because you also have basically uh, three, four consecutive decades of people being told that all smoking is bad for them, right? And that's been taught to them from a very young age. And I'm not going to say to anybody that smoking is a healthy endeavor, okay? But I think it's like many things in life. I think enjoy it in moderation. It is something that is perfectly acceptable and fine. And particularly when you're talking about handmade cigars where it's basically tobacco and water and we're not any chemicals or additives or you know any of these additional things that they incorporate into all these other smokable products or tobacco products i think that's one of the reasons why the data came out the way the data came out at the same time you know the pipe guys couldn't uh the pipe guys kind of they're they kind of weren't able to fight they didn't have the wherewithal the financial capacity and they find themselves in a much more difficult position where oddly enough, I don't think that the pipe tobacco products, you know, the vast majority of them are any more uh, different than a lot of the handmade cigar products, but they weren't able to get the win in the court system. And mostly because they didn't do the fight. And I don't know that they had the financial capacity to do the fight. And I got to tell you, it almost broke us. I mean, it really was. The fact that we got to this point, um, we we did it really lean. We did it, you know, but it was still, when I say lean, it's really expensive for such a yeah. small, small industry uh, to be able to uh, 
to champion the forces that were necessary to actually make this happen. And as you said, we were lucky to land in a court that went at it from an unbiased perspective and actually just judged these individual issues on their merit. We didn't win all the way along the way. There were points where we got slapped too. You know what I mean? But when we got pushed come to shove in the end, yeah, I, I think that I think that the district court made the correct decision. And- I, I I do too. I, I I think the government assumed that the courts would just go along with these grandiose uh, exaggerations as far as kids buying cigars and tobacco scary and bad. And the judge actually took a very logical approach to it. It's like no, you have provided nothing that shows. It was worse. They actually provided stuff that. Argued they're against themselves. <laughs> no, you're right. They actually provide stuff that showed the opposite of that is happening. That, that's correct. I, I mean, so yeah, it, it's it's hard not to be buoyed from that perspective. I, I think that, uh, and you see it. You 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 see the fact that the industry's gotten back to more normal, where we're again allowed to be creative. We're making. Yeah. I mean, there was a period there where like. We thought we could never change a blend. We could never change a size. We could never change a single letter on a package. We could never change how many cigars were in a package. We could never do anything. Now we're still, we're still under some, we're still regulated by the FDA. We're still paying user fees. You guys are paying user fees. Okay. They, they get passed along to you. I mean, we're still supporting the regulatory agency. I very much doubt that we're going to get our money back. That would be a dream come true, but legitimately we should get our money back, but sure. who are we kidding? Who, when do you ever get taxes back? <laughs> you know, because they were collected illegally. That's not going to happen, but or illegally may be the wrong way to phrase that unjustly. It's probably a better way to phrase it um, because well, they they with everyone with Sokka with that, with every one of these rulings, I just, uh, immediately went to a, a, a good place in my heart for family businesses like Dunbarton, like Romacraft. Yeah. That, that this is their legacy. This is their legacy business. And for the first time in God knows how many years, I felt optimistic. But oddly enough, it isn't because of our government. It's because of that one third branch of our government basically <laughs> right. saving our bacon. Right. And, yeah. and doing the right things. And, uh, and that's, uh, but I, I'm not foolish enough to think it's over. I mean, it's, I mean, this is, this is going to be perpetually a problem. Luckily, maybe though I'll outlive it and I'll get well, to keep what I do until, until I'm, I'm in the grave. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. You guys. It's, um, it was have fun. A, have a very Merry Christmas. What a fun, fun uh, time that was, eh, boys? It was. Uh, very much so. Very much. Uh, thanks again, Steve. And uh, are you boys ready to smoke some more soccer sticks?
Yes. Good time was had by all. Sir. Of course you are. Uh, well, first of all, how'd you guys like the holiday blend? Uh, it's okay. Steve's gone now. If you hated it, you can be honest. No, it is. Liked it. it wasn't worth anything. I mean, <laughs> I mean it, was no, it, was, it was very subtle flavors, um, at least compared to the other Stillwells I've had. Uh, I dug it. Yeah, it's it's actually my favorite Stillwell. Uh, it, it it was very nicely balanced, very subdued. Uh, I, I I liked it. I liked the flavors that were were present enough, but it wasn't just out of the park stuff. I uh, I agree. Well. Um, so in the first portion of the show, we smoked the Stillwell Star Holiday, uh, 2022. And get this, uh, Yak Boy, your cigar you're about to light up, the Moistro de Saca, the Bewitched, actually has the same wrapper and binder as the Holiday Blend last night. Uh, you're holding a six and five eighths by 48 Prensado. It's a beautiful cigar, isn't it? It is. Uh, Ecuador Habano wrapper, Mexico, uh, Cultivo Tanto San Andres Negro, uh, binder, fillers, Nicaragua and USA. And, uh, I'm going to save the price point on that as always, but, uh, folks, th- there will be a link on this episode page to my review of both of these, uh, following cigars, the Saka Khan and the Bewitched. So, uh, go ahead and click over there to read my thoughts and, if anything you say is crazy different than me, uh, I'll include, I'll go back and include it in there. By the way, that, I just want to congratulate my own self for not singing Saka Khan, uh, the entire interview because I really wanted to. I, mean, hey, I like bet he would, Khan, he, he would have been fine with it. I think so. Uh, maybe he wasn't drinking. I don't want to wait, keep that for a night when he's a little lubed <sighs> up. Uh, Tut and I are going to be, uh, smoking the Saka Khan. This giant seven and a quarter by 54 double Corona. It is just enormous. I told the dog. I heard a Chinese guy got arrested for carrying a 16 <laughs> bags of these. Uh, it, it does have some severed, severed donkey dick like qualities. Uh, uh, it is. A Connecticut Broadleaf, of course, as it is a Mikarita. That's the initial release of the Mikarita Black line. Uh, Mexican San Andres Negro binder. Fillers are Dominican, Honduran, and Nicaraguan. I'll say price point for that. So Tut and I are going to smoke uh, this one. I have had it previously, as I said. You can go to the website, read my review. But uh, I'm really, really curious to get Tut's take on this um got an oily feel to it a very rustic presentation i'm digging it already uh, steve said steve said what people were clocking in at two plus 240 uh, two hours and 40 minutes on this thing I, I believe so i believe it's coming right under three on the three hour mark on this cigar so you should probably I'll have, have it, about I'll 45 have it done minutes by the, yeah i'm not done but a little under an hour uh i think i i'll have to look at my review i i I think I may have passed the two hour mark on it. Um, but as I told Steve earlier, it sure as hell reminds me a lot of my beloved Liga nine, uh, Corona Doble. So those are, that's high praise coming from yours truly. So I'm, I'm curious to see if Ted agrees with me. Um, and now as usual, we will be pairing all this delicious tobacco with some beers and yeah. Yeah, more beers. Um, 
Yax, why don't you tell us about the doctor's beer first? The good doctor. Uh, from Bell's Brewing, he's having the Oberon Wheat Ale. Comes with it's made with their signature house sale yeast. Bell's located out of Comstock, Michigan. Uh, it's a good doctor. As a matter of fact, he likes it. So nice. He's had it twice. <laughs> now, doctor, you said it was after you purchased it that you thought you may have had it before. Well, yes, I always, uh, take a picture of the beer can in my hand uh, and send that picture to Yaks for his research purposes. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't take a lot of pictures with my phone. So I noticed another picture not long ago of my hand holding this can. And I thought, Oh shit. And I looked and apparently I had this uh, <laughs> on our October show. Uh, <laughs> and then I, then I went back to that page and read the, the doctor's uh, notes on that beer, and he didn't like it. Classic doctor. <laughs> Classic doctor. <laughs> oh, God, this cigar smells good. Um, so you accidentally bought the same beer, and you accidentally bought a beer you didn't like. Is it any better the second time around? You know what? Maybe it's because I've just been looking forward to seeing you guys, and I had a double uh, bourbon and soda before the show. It tastes <laughs> pretty, pretty decent right now. Okay. Good. It's going to do the trick tonight. I'm uh, – Got a real positive vibe. I'm feeling really centered. Um, okay. We, we, I, I'm assuming that there was no uh, tie into the holidays or you, you were just in the mood for a wheat beer. Uh, actually, no holiday tie in. I stopped at a uh, local shop uh, that was not the uh, grocery store. So the selection was a bit smaller. Um, I almost went with a couple of other things, but I saw the six are sitting there and. I thought, well, I've never had this before. This looks like something new. <laughs> Which is weird that you wouldn't remember because it has a very distinct name, the Oberon. Like you even gave us like a little history of the character. Oberon is a uh, character from uh, Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, I believe. Um, but uh, that was two months of drinking a co. So uh, uh, I think it's important to note that uh, the Tuesday Night Cigar Club and certainly the doctor can never be accused of false advertising. Uh, no, we are, we walk the walk. We, uh, talk something, something, uh, no. Uh, okay. Well, good deal. Tut, I saw your cigar almost knocked you out of your chair. No, no, that was just, uh, allergies or something. Allergies or something. Uh-huh. It, it, it delivers a pretty swift kick to the nuts right off the bat. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to do my best to not, Compare it to the cigar that will not be named because uh-huh. I kind of I kind of got the feeling last night that quit being passive aggressive. I, Say the cigar's I, name, damn it! Say I it. Just, I got I got the feeling last night that you know he he hears the comparison to the Liga all the time, so I'm like trying to not go there. But there's oh, he's some never, very not going to listen to this part of the show. Isn't that There's a key some very legalized characteristics? Even the even the smoke profile coming up of it, it's reminding me of that first nine experience. Um, all right, well, I'll, I'll let you uh, spend some some quality time alone with it for a little bit. What was your question, Doc? Sorry, I just thought that that was a key element of the Harry Potter movies: the cigar who will not be named. Uh, 
Ted could probably answer that. I, I, I never saw those. Well, movies. it wasn't the Harry Potter series, but it definitely was a different Harry series. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. A Midsummer Night's Cream. <sighs> uh, Yak Boy, what is uh, Mr. Tuttle drinking? He is drinking from Tup's Brewing Full Grown Nick. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Tell me about it. I want to know everything. I need full details. It is an imperial stout, uh, rocking in at a nice 12.1%. Nice. 20 IBUs. Hmm. It's pure gas. <laughs> it, it certainly is blacker than, than black. Uh. Uh, we are fans of Tups. They're located in McKinney, Texas. Um, we've done numerous ones from them, uh, you know, all the way back. I mean, we've done their Oktoberfest, their Hella Hopped IPA. Uh, we've done, uh, their, uh, uh, birthday Sasquatch. No, excuse me. They're the holiday spice amber ale. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I like that Sasquatch beer. That was actually the, the one that you're having is that's your, the 903. Oh, 903. They did this. Okay. Uh, Todd, how do you like it? I like it, but I, I shouldn't have picked it tonight. I should have just taken water. I don't want anything to, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely playing with the cigar. It's a lot of spices. It's a lot of heavy flavor. Um, and it's not bad. I, I like it. I, I, I'm going to appreciate the beer tonight, but uh, it's definitely going to influence the cigar, and I'm kind of not wanting wanting it to do that because um, I'm kind out. of just wanting to hit the hit the cigar for what the cigar is first. Yeah. But I'm an alcoholic, so I'm gonna I mean, you've, already, beer. you've already poured it. Can't go back it's now. It's got bits of real reindeer in it, so you know it's yeah. Cool. Uh, no, it, it, it's, it's a good beer. Uh, it's good, uh, imperial style. It's a little bit, a little bit on the sweet side. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's going to be very, quite flavorful and quite needed tonight. You got a little cinnamon in there? A little allspice? Um, I was about to say not straight up cinnamon, more towards an allspice. A little Mistletoe? bit nutmeg-ish. Uh, yeah, I mean, nutmeg makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, uh, it's yeah, I'm glad looked- I didn't have that last night with the, uh, still water because full grown Nick would have just macho manned elbowed that cigar out of the way. Yeah. Been like, uh, yeah. Something tells me, uh, you're going to be better off than you think you are. This cigar can, I think, stand up to most. <laughs> Most, uh, difficult pairing partners. Uh, Yak Boy. I was about to say it is very subtle right now. Uh, there's still some, some, like a white pepper on the nose. It's not that tingly black. Um, there is some woodsy element. You still got that cedar. Um, and you get, there's a nut presence that I'm trying to identify whose nut that is. Um, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm digging it. I am digging it. Um, what? what? Under what? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I, I, nobody said anything. You, you and your nut presence are totally fine. Tell us when you figure out whose nut it is. 
Yeah. Keep us posted. Be on the edge of my nuts, the edge of my seat. Yo, Saka liked my bright leather notes. He's going to like my who's nut isn't note. <laughs> uh, Yag Boy, what are you drinking? As our resident beer expert and the sexiest bartender at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas, I'm always curious to see what masterful uh, selections you make at the our local Speedy Mart. Well, I am having from Whitestone Brewery, located there in wonderful Cedar Park, their Melted Snowman. They do some good work. They do some good work. I'm I'm curious about this beer. I actually saw it when I was picking up this. I could have thought swore, about it, but I was like, I no. I could have swore somebody had this last year. No. I, I went back and looked through everything. and I mean, we have done a couple of different White Stones, yes, but have not done this one. Uh, I saw it and I was just like, you know, I'll give it a try. It is just a, it's a winter warmer ale and it does, and they did use, uh, uh, cinnamon and nutmeg in it, but it's very, very, it's very slight. It's not like it's like, Oh, it's a holiday cookie. So it's very, it's just, it's right there in the background. Uh, that, you know, they used uh, some oats. They used, uh, German, uh, caramel malts. So it's, it's, it's got some sweetness, but I mean, it's, it's, it's in the background. So it's, it's more, you know, just, I mean, it is dark. It looks like a stout, but it is just a winter warmer listed what as a winter. Is a, what is a winter warmer? I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Typically, I mean, they, they, apparently they call it's a category. It typically is more of a holiday seasonal. It's going to be a little, it's going to be sweeter. They're going to, they're going to add in you know, spices and, and, you know, typical for their, for their Christmas time. So chocolate, chocolate chips. Yes. But not in this beer. Candy cane. But not in this beer. Ham. In this beer. Yes. For <laughs> ham. Trying, Honey to roast. Out, trying to figure out whose hand this is in my beer. <laughs> I think it's the same guy who dipped his balls in my beer. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was that was uh, nuts in your cigar. See, I'm already getting things screwed up. What do you expect? We've been doing this podcast now for what? What are we in the fourth hour? We must. Yes. We, must we must be exhausted. Uh, and that just leaves, of course, yours truly, Yak Boy. Uh, I get so much fan mail and letters. Just Kate, how do you do it? Week after week, you're just knocking these selections out of the park, uh, which I could literally do with a cigar. Yes. Uh, it could serve as a nice little league baseball bat. Uh, what am I drinking, Yaks? You are having from 903 Brewing the Hopalone IPA. You know how he did that with his hands? It's doing that to a giant hop. <laughs> Much like Home Alone, but it's Hop Alone. It's yeah. full of hoppy goodness. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's listed as being uh, 5% ABV, and the IBUs, I'm not sure if this is correct or not, but it's, it says it's like 14 IBUs. Uh, they don't actually, they don't actually list the IBUs on the can here. 14? 
14. I was like, wait a second. Cade would never go for an IPA that was like under 25. <laughs> and I would never go for a 5% IPA either, but here we are. It's almost like <laughs> my body was demanding I make some changes <laughs> in the last hour of the show. But... Don't listen to it. <laughs> you tell your body to shut up and you double down. Maybe I misread it. Maybe it's 140 IBUs. It's not, it's not hoppy at all. It's, uh, it's, it's got a very citrus, um, it looks like a hazy, uh, when I yeah, poured it. Yeah. yeah. And then it's got some, uh, citrus on the, on the aroma, but the, it almost feels a little carbon. You know, when you get the beers that feel a little carbonated. Um, a little fizzy. Oh, you're having a spritzer, are you? <laughs> no. You take that back. Yeah, um, you have to try it. Holiday spritzer. It's it's okay. Is it weird that I think that this beer might actually work if I put a little vodka in it? Or is that a major alcoholic thing to say? It is a major <laughs> alcoholic thing to say. It would make yeah. this beer better. Vodka. As the TNCC doctor, I don't really care for these labels. I maybe put the vodka. We call it a TNCC mimosa. It's a it's a beer with vodka poured in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I I certainly wouldn't recommend this beer, but uh, the things I do for podcasting, I uh, I knew I knew I knew my diehard listeners would want to know what I thought of the Hopalone beer. And uh let's just say this. If you're bringing this beer to the party, you're you're gonna find yourself alone. Unless you bring along a no, you could, uh, you could... Your vodka. Unless you bring along a fifth of vodka and yeah. And you're never Or alone. you're just gonna find yourself with another person's beer. I mean, that's the good thing about parties. There's an open community chest and everybody grabs the beer that looks interesting. Yeah, you always you could always just be ignorant like, oh, I thought this was a white elephant drinking party. Like I brought my beer, but I'm not don't I'm not gonna drink my own beer. I know. No, no, no. Works. Like like when we have our Halloween party, there's a big ice cooler and everybody brings beer. And I have beer, you know, at the house and I, I make sure to stock up. But it, no. If you put the beer in the chest, it's open range. I mean, it's somebody can grab your beer, I can grab you can grab my beer. It's fine. Maybe we'd know if we ever got invited to this Halloween party. I invite y'all every single year. You do. You do. Uh, it's not a sore point in the Tuttle household either. In my defense, I just really didn't want to come. <laughs> That's not what Angela, Angela Lansbury told me in the seance last night. <laughs> you leave her goddamn name out of your mouth, you hear me? I'm sure if she was on the case, she could find out who put their nuts in your cigar. <laughs> she was quite the little. Uh, uh, just a tasty note: the uh, the retro hell is picked up. It's getting a little bit more spicier. It's a really pleasant retro hell. Uh, I, I'm really digging that. After that initial, after that initial slap to your face, it dies down very quickly. But it does throughout the. Uh, six hour smoking experience. It does, that pepper does come and go. Uh, yeah. it, it, it ebbs and flows. It's a really nice constant in, uh, some varying degree of strength for sure. Uh, yeah. Yax, Yax, what do you think of the Bewitched? I loved it. 
I'm liking it. I mean, it was a, you know, just on the cold draw, it, it, there was a, there was a leather and a kind of like a, say hay, but more like, you know, like a. Horseshit. Kind of, hmm? Horseshit. Yes. Horseshit. Just horseshit. No. Uh, and there was a little, and there was just a little note of, of, uh, coffee, but I'm uh, more, more chocolatey to me on a, and a little bit sweetness there. But when I lit it up, I mean, I got a little, a little blast of, you know, pepper right there in that first thing. And it's, it's, it's took a, it just took a dive down and now it's, it's just right there in the retro hell. But everything else, I'm, I'm picking up that you know, sort of a steady note of chocolate right now, but I'm just, a little bit in, so it's, we'll see where it's going to go. Okay. Well, hey, speaking of tasty cigars, you know who makes some damn fine ones, Tut? Uh, would that be our friends at Drew Estate? Thought you were going to say Steve Saka. He was just here. That would have been a nice little, nice little throw his way. I thought, I thought I set you up for that one and it swung and a miss. I just really like oh, swinging yeah. this. Swinging the cigar we've like doing a, a we've been doing a year of me leading into Drew Estate. I I know I'm just giving you a hard time. I felt pressure, man. Now, do you guys see why I don't go to that goddamn Halloween party? I was just thinking I'm gonna definitely go to Tut's Halloween party. Oh, and now we know that's not happening. You know what? Cade has been pouring the that's vodka it. into his uh hot beer there, or as he likes to call it, the belt and snow cone. <laughs> You know, doctor, there's a, there's a guest bedroom just waiting for you, doctor. It's just right, right there ready. If you on your roof, then the party's an absolute failure. Doctor sounds like he's going to stick his dick in the mashed potatoes. Well, I will say that uh, we had such a good time last uh, uh, last time that, or uh, during the interview, that I had to clean a, the corpse of a possum out of my front yard this morning. Oh God, you killed a possum after we talked to Steve? I don't know what happened. Oh, and I think you mean earlier tonight, since this is all one concurrent show. Right. Earlier, er, earlier tonight, uh, earlier tonight, possum ended up dead. Earlier tonight, I drank two bottles of wine and three Imperial IPAs and I, I'm feeling pretty good right now. It's crazy. I attacked a bottle of scotch and it's fine. <laughs> totally fine. Not sure what happened to the shirt I was wearing, but it's still fine. Was the possum wearing your clothes? <laughs> That'd be weird. Not that you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, Todd, it is Drew Estate. Uh, and they have a new stick out. Uh, if you weren't listening before, why not? But I'll go ahead and do this one more time for you. So listen closely. Um, the 20-acre farm by Drew Estate, Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied. That's the first time I've ever said Drew Estate wrong. <laughs> the 20-acre farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright mm. hint of citrus. 20-acre farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown Wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa, blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly 
grown one harvest at a time by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. You've listed that as your favorite city in America, Doctor. Claremont, Florida. I did? <clears throat> and maybe it was somebody else's blog I was reading. I was really partial to Glendale, Arizona, but... Uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> By the way, Steve Saka confirmed that uh, Jeff sings those tobacco leaves to, to sleep every night. He did. He puts little blankets on them and, and gently and humbly uh, puts them to rest every night. Go to sleep, little leaf. <laughs> the sun is now setting. <laughs> Dude, I... I've told y'all before uh, when I got stuck in traffic and I listened to the whole two and a half hour Paul McCartney interview with Howard Stern and I kept I was going around talking like Paul McCartney. Dude, same thing. I spent over an hour a week or two ago listening to Howard Stern interview Bruce Springsteen and I'd find myself like going around the house just kind of in this gravelly voice just singing these Springsteen songs and when you started doing that, I was like, Put your weary head down, honey. I just, it was just like a thing I was Let doing. Let the tobacco spices flow. <laughs> hey, little leaf is Jeff home, don't <laughs> Oh, the tobacco's on fire. <laughs> oh, God, it really is on fire. <laughs> and, and by the way, if Trace Atkins has never covered I'm on Fire, then something's wrong with this universe. Hey, little girl's dead at home. Oh, I'd love he to. He totally did. Is <laughs> Anywho, uh, okay. Well, for the rest of the show, we're just going to kick it with some cigars, some beers. Uh, real quick, did you guys see Monday night's football game, the last two minutes? Tom no. Brady? Fucking dude, Buccaneers look like shit. Four four quarters of football basically, and then the dude in the last two minutes comes back and scores twice. And uh, it was I, uh, goat man. Uh, had the presence of mind to uh, contact a family member who was in Shreveport where there is a sports book and make uh-huh. a suggestion to bet on the Saints with three points. So the game ends seventeen sixteen. So if you bet on the Saints and you have three points, yeah. guess what? I am now have this in my possession. <laughs> hey, that's gambling across state lines. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, pal. No, the gambling took place in Louisiana. Just kidding. I just get transported back to me. I, I'm Which just I will kidding. now donate, of course, to uh, Salvation Army, Ezekiel Elliott style. Uh, you're, you look at you, doctor. You're, uh, but yeah. So it turns out Tom Brady and I have more than just one thing in common. We both slept with supermodels and we're both winners. I'm basically Tom Brady. Mm. Uh, we'll speak, moving on. Uh, speaking of football, we're up to our asses in it. NFL playoffs, uh, in a couple of weeks, college football playoffs, bowl season's about to start. Oh, can't wait for that taxidermy tax act bowl. Uh, taxlayer.com bowl is, it's been in my family. It's a family tradition. We sit around and watch. It comes on right after the Beefo Brady's potato head bowl. Yeah. Oh. Um, you guys are missing out if you don't watch the Duke's Mayo bowl. <laughs> it was a good one. It was a battle last year. Um, doctor, <laughs> did we say last year that 
they should totally dump a big old thing of mayonnaise on the coach at the end of that game. Instead of instead of a Gatorade bucket, they just bring a big, huge giant bucket. But the guys are struggling because it's all heavy. These two offensive linemen can't lift it well, up. They just yeah, but it. I mean, I can't, they're like gonna dump it. They're gonna be like, Ugh. <laughs> hold <laughs> it still, shake it, tap the side, tap the side, get, get the knife, get gotta the hit knife it on the back. You have to break the seal. <laughs> I want to bust in here for a cigar note. Uh, yeah, sure. One, it's really really good. Um, but I'm not, I'm not getting like this, just this Liga love letter. Uh, the Liga was definitely more pepper forward and this is not so much pepper forward. This isn't that just mineral dirt. It, it, this has got a lot of flavor kicking in it. Um, and it is, it is a little, it's a lot more. Nuanced, but I hate the term nuanced because usually when we talk about a nuanced cigar, you mean you're hunting for fucking flavors, and you're not hunting for flavors in this. No, thing. they're pretty. Uh, that oak is awesome. It the, it is great. I don't know what is presenting the nuts on this thing, but it's, and it could be coming from the beer. I mean, it could be just the 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 playing of of them. Does your but, beer have nuts in it? Apparently, well, it's a full-grown Nick. I mean, of course, it's it's, it's nuts have dropped. Uh, <laughs> I just wrote down on my notepad, presenting the nuts. That's going to be the name of our TNCC Christmas album. <laughs> uh, I, I I think nuanced is a very apt word. I hate to cigar fanboy for a little bit, but okay. So, Saka was heavy involved with the nine. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It was made for him. Right. Liga, Liga Privada means private blend, and it was Sokka's private blend. Right. And so I wonder, okay, should Sokka have gone in to this, to the Mikarita process? And he was wanting to capture a little bit of that joy. Now, he said in the interview that it wasn't really him trying to go back to the nine. It was him going back to the guys that he loved before. Uh, and I I can, I can get that in this cigar because I wonder why, I, I wonder like, you know, a lot of times in, a, in an artist, when they get success early in their career, you know, the, those first couple of projects just absolutely blow up. And those are good projects, but then when they come, you know, they're, they're, they're creative for, you know, another 15 years and they come back to another masterpiece, you get to express the entire knowledge of that artist in the project. Now their knowledge has expanded their creativity has expanded. And that's kind of what I'm getting with this. It's like, you can tell that the league of base is there. But there's an expression that is way more mature, in my opinion, than what that that Liga was. If That's that impressive. makes sense. That, it, it does. No, it, it, it is. And it it actually be, it actually does. A, it does make a lot of sense, actually. Um, okay. Well, you know, uh, John Carpenter couldn't have made the fog if he hadn't made Halloween. Yeah. A little more, little more grown up, a little more technical savvy movie. Then he couldn't have made the thing if he hadn't made the fog. Yeah. He couldn't have made Escape from LA if, well, it's, let's Dude, just, my top, let's my top five is just going to be, 
it's going to be Terra Dome. It's going to be nut cutting. It's going to be everybody. The dying time is now because this top five is going to be just ridiculous this year. Uh, I, that's a, that's a bit of a, what do you call it? A, uh, sizzle reel. You're, uh, get people hyped. Wanting to see our. I'm hyped. I'm hyped. <laughs> I like this. We're tight. Okay. Uh, where were we? Oh, so we're talking about meaningful football in December, which means we're right at the holidays. Tut, you, uh, just watched a Christmas movie, a new yes, Christmas. I did. Movie. I've and, seen lots of Christmas movies. Well, I, I, this one wasn't on Hallmark, uh, or, and it didn't involve dead Santas, like your That's Dateline true. stuff. Uh, what'd you watch? Was it any good? Give us all the details. I watched Spirited. You can stream it on Apple Plus. It's starring uh, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. It is a retelling of the Christmas story. I didn't know that going into it. I I was blind going into it. The only thing I knew is that it was a Christmas movie with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, and I'm like, I'm going to hit play on that because I that's the kind of stuff that I hit play on. And I didn't know that it was a retelling of the Christmas Carol. And I didn't know that it was a musical. And so Will Ferrell all of a sudden is starting to bust out in song. And it's not a voiceover. It's not like Clint Eastwood sitting there and all of a sudden right. some, hey, little doggy. <laughs> no, it was I think going to do some Bruce for us. <laughs> no, hey, little girl, scratchy voice. Uh, you know, he gave it his all. Uh, I, I, I really, really like the story. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I liked the acting performances because one, when you get scripted, like scripted stuff with Will Ferrell, it automatically calms him down a little bit. Uh, it's not like, you know, those old days where it's just Will Ferrell going improv and yeah. sometimes it's gold and a lot of times it's not. Uh, same thing with Ryan Reynolds. You know, Ryan Reynolds, I want to hate on him, but I, I can't. I, I like him a lot. Does he, play the, does he play the Bob Cratchit role? Um, Is he the one who's having the, the, the flashbacks? Does he have to, a he, son named Tiny Tim? No, he's kind of like the new Ebenezer Scrooge. So basically what, what happens is that um, Will Ferrell's character is in charge of trying to save the Christmas spirit in people. It's like the in the North Pole, there's like this little organization that, that looks people and chooses who. Did you just wake up there? Sorry. So, they, goes, so they, choose, they choose who to save the Christmas spirit in, like they yeah. chose Ebenezer Scrooge way back in the Charles Dickens day. Uh. And so – anyway, so Will Ferrell saves the Christmas spirit in Ryan Reynolds, who's like the new version of Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, sorry. And uh, the thing I liked about it is that, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds – wasn't as Ryan Reynolds as he normally is. It's uh-huh. toned down a little bit. It wasn't Deadpool all over, uh, but you still get a little bit of that. So they but took, it, they basically took all the funny out of the two funny guys they hired. No, no, they didn't. They actually oh. directed it and herded the cats along a story okay. that actually they, they worked and they did really well. Uh, and the music was all, they all sung. Ryan did his own singing. 
Will did his own singing. It's not the greatest, but it's not the worst. I thought I thought they did fine there. And there was some genuinely like laugh out loud, laugh out loud moments. I I, I chuckled the entire way through. It's cute and I like it. Go see it. Merry Christmas. Okay, well, you know, it's funny. Um, you told me you'd check that out. And then I, I was reading, uh, Tarantino made some comments recently. Uh, speaking oh, of what did that asshole say? Speaking of Reynolds, hey, I like you. about to say Tarantino made a musical. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, but no, he, he, he had mentioned in an interview and then, of course, people kind of ran with it with that. There weren't any real movie stars anymore and how, you know, over the last, two decades or whatever, since it's, it's all superhero, you know, most of the blockbusters are, are Marvel films, how that hasn't translated into any of those people becoming movie stars. Like Chris Evans isn't a movie star. Now people just want to see him be captain America. Like sure yeah. enough, like most of his other movies don't even go to theaters. He does a ton of straight to video stuff. Yeah. Same, same with Hemsworth and even Robert Downey Jr. It turns out people just like him as Iron Man, like his, yeah. you know, the, uh, that, his other movies don't tend to do so so good. But you know that. Well, I I I I, I did hear him say that, and I don't agree with Tarantino. But simply for the fact that half their projects aren't actually going. You know, the, what their other projects aren't going to theaters. Exactly, they're, but that, I think that's his point. They're they're not movie to be a movie star. You got your your movies have to open up in theaters. Uh, to be fair, I actually do agree with Tarantino there. Uh, there's not that star that regardless of what he's in is going to pack the theater. But I will have to say that we might have to redefine what it is to be a movie star because Ryan Reynolds bought a fucking soccer club based off of Deadpool money. Well, here's what actually, this is where I was going with that. I think out of all those comic book guys, Ryan Reynolds is the closest thing that we're in his stuff still goes to theaters it almost always does well i think he might be one of the the only few current movie bankable people will go see a movie in the theater because that dude's in it i have to uh, I, I, and i, I, and I actually agree yeah and i actually get it the dude's got charisma out the ass uh i'm sure the ladies don't mind looking at him yeah. and i it, i mean on paper it makes sense and then at the same time, Doctor, this goes with something you were talking about. The people that are in movies nowadays, most of them, I don't know how the fuck they got in movies. I don't see the allure. I don't see the the draw. Doctor, the closest, you, Doctor, Doctor calls it, uh, I thought this was hilarious. You referred to a doctor as the Toby Maguire postulate. And it was very similar. I had come up with my own. It was called the Jake Gyllenhaal conundrum. Where you, 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 I, I just watch these people in movies and not only do I think they're not good actors, I'm like, who, how did this person get to be in movies? They're, they're just, there's, there's just terrible. Um, Mind you a bit, did, did Tarantino, because I was not familiar with it, did he cite any specific people? Yeah, I think he's the, just the, those main Avenger actors, I think. Okay. You know? Actually, yeah. I don't, I don't know that for sure. He may have kept names out of it, but, um, I, I think a close, a close guy that could, you could make, you could have made a case for, uh, was McConaughey. He was getting to that status and then he kind of lost focus to where he went into a lot of different other stuff other than just movies. But 
like after after he started doing his uh, Dallas Buyers Club run where he got his Oscar, there was a stretch of time to where he could have been that guy that no matter what he was in, people would see. But he kind of veered off the off the movie star path. Yeah, but I don't. I, I think he wasn't going to be that guy. Uh, he made some weird choices, um, and which is great as an actor, you know. And and I'm not at all saying that dude's not talented as hell, but he 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 picks some really kind of out there stuff, which I. So I are respect. you? So are you saying that you can't be a movie star if you make weird choices? Absolutely not. But some some movie stars find a way to make some weird choices, and they still end up being movies that make a million gazillion dollars. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Look at Tom Cruise. Big, he might be the last movie star we've got, but look at the last samurai born on the 4th of July. Like he was, he was the most handsome dude in America and he made himself look like, uh, an amputeed vet, you know, Vietnam vet. Well, that and, was for 4th of July. Last samurai was a great blockbuster. No, the, the same 4th of July did great too. The dude managed yeah. to, to take on really interesting different stuff, but still make blockbuster movies yeah. out of them. Um, this I wonder is due to, uh, and it's not just when I say present times, I mean the last 20 to 25 years. I don't mean like literally last two or three years. Um, and I admit to a personal bias because I'm a fan of so many of these larger than live drunkards from that were in movies in the 60s and 70s. How much of it is that? that sort of persona almost isn't even allowed to exist. Uh, I was watching oh. an interview with the the late Richard Harris, and he actually mentioned Tom Cruise, and he said, people ask me what's the difference between back in the day and stars. And he, Richard Harris has been dead for 20 years, so who knows, this interview could have been, it was at least 25 years ago. And he said, what's the difference between stars of the day and back when i was and he said back when i went to a, a movie premiere he said if you look i had a bottle of vodka under my arm he said now tom cruise is a bottle of evian water he said that's the difference the evian water and he, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek but i just wonder how some of these so, so many of these older than tarantino i think he kind of meant that too because he's a big fan of 60s 70s movies yeah you know a lot of these guys had a larger than life off the screen persona of and, and it's probably it's probably antiquated misogynistic anachronistic by today's standards because a lot of it had to do with being a boozer and a womanizer and a two-fisted brawler and and they don't even really allow that sort of persona to exist today no. yeah so i wonder how much of it has to do with that and guys understanding the the rules of the playing field as to back in the day when they were all drunk and chasing chicks and, and still managed to put on great performances. And keep in mind that there's a difference between our generation's view of a movie star and like my nieces that, that are in high school. I would be curious as to what constitutes, you know, mega stardom to them. You know who I bet their answer would be? Who? Nine out of ten high school kids, you ask them name name a movie star. You know who I bet nine out nine out of ten would say The Rock. Okay, I can see that. But I see when I see The Rock, I don't really. Man, the guy had promise. Yeah, he did. Oh, and and to be fair, he's made a 
pretty damn good living. He's There's done okay. He's done okay. Too. But 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 early in his career, uh, he did some smaller stuff when he was just trying to learn how to act out of the ring, uh, which weren't good movies. Uh, there's one called Southland Tales um, that he was in, and then he he did a that Pain and Gain. Oh God, I thought he did movie. good there, man. No, I did too. That's what I'm saying. There was yeah. that time where he was still learning that he I was took. To say, it's one of my favorite rock characters. That actually. he, but he took risks there early on. Yeah. As he was learning, and then what we've got now is the Disney oh. Rock, who's in the Disney movies. You've yeah. got the 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 blockbuster, you know, uh, superhero Rock, and I. I I mean, I, I just, I, I feel like it's kind of that point kind of where Stallone in the late eighties, early nineties, where it's like, I'm watching the rock on screen and seeing the rock as opposed to whatever character he's trying to play. Like yeah. once, once Stallone, I think probably did Cobra and, and a few of those other, I was just like, and Tango and Cash, like as much as he tried, it was just, he, his persona was so big. He, he's still, he's still Sylvester Stallone. And yeah. I think the rock is too damn literally and figuratively. He's just too damn big. Like I don't, I watched that terrible, uh, was it red so notice? Basically, or what was it on Netflix? Red notice. Uh, it was red yes. notice. And I watched that. That wasn't terrible. Uh, it, it was awful. <laughs> it almost, but, 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 but like I was just like talking he, about the rock being too big to be, to play a character is almost his movie stardom being that big. Yeah, but Arnold did it. Arnold was bigger than life, both physically and personality. And, you know, he, he made over a hundred million bucks playing a kindergarten teacher. But Arnold's heyday was the But that was still Arnold though. You didn't see undercover cop playing that was, a kindergarten. That was John Kimball. That what, was Detective What made John it, Kimball. what made it fun was that it was Arnold as a kindergarten teacher. Then what made the tooth fairy with the rock as a tooth fairy, not fun. Cause that premise should have been hilarious. Just, just a bad script, man. That was a bad movie. Surface. That just sounds like a shitty. Oh uh, shit. That's Yak Boy's favorite movie. I am so sorry. Yak Boy. Look at him. Look at him. No. <laughs> you got to run away like Sokka. Yeah. Bye. Later. I, I, I wonder though, I, I still wonder if. It's the playing field, and and you've got to play the game that that you're on. You've got to play the game that that's that's here now. You're this is the game you've got yeah. to do. It. And 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 I think that not to decry this, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, you know, because when you mention Arnold, I immediately think of two things. I think of Arnold. I think of Willis. And now their heyday was the '80s and '90s. And neither of them had the reputation of the Richard Harris, the Richard Burton, the Peter O'Toole, the the two-fisted brawlers and drinkers and womanizers. But there was still an element of, of, because they were in the 80s and 90s, and we didn't have the internet and social media, there was still a a sort of element of mystery to their their lives. I, I just wonder if today it's like, 
a rock fan feels like they know the rock. I mean, because, you know, Arnold and Bruce Willis, I don't know what they've done in the last five years, but when they were on top of the world in 1990, they didn't have fucking Twitter accounts because it wasn't out there. I, I just wonder if, if there's, if, if that's, it's delineated the movie star, but I wonder if that's a part of it because of the, you know, for 20 years. I don't know about that, but but I think, I think that's a great point as far as if you're seeing this, actor every day on instagram like doing push-ups and like going to the store and he's like a really big presence on social media of course that's got to hurt his craft i i'm so familiar with this guy i i follow i follow his his life every day as as um you know uh chris helmsworth i watch him surf and i watch him you know, hanging out with his kids. And now I'm supposed to sit down for two hours in a dark room and believe this dude is a Navy SEAL. And yeah, that's a, that, that's a very, very interesting point. You know, you kind of lose the ability to be an actor to, to suspend disbelief because I've watched the Hemsworth videos. I've watched him work out. Now I'm supposed to believe that he is some, you know, secretary on the Ghostbusters or whatever. I mean, yeah, huh? That's 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 a good point. Like like one of the guys that I like, uh, I like Henry Cavill. Uh, his Witcher stuff was cool. He just does some really cool stuff. But yeah, it's like you see the videos of him putting together a gaming rig, which is really epic. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, you're Superman, aren't you? Yeah. Are you? Daniel Day Lewis isn't on Instagram. Richard Harris and Richard Burton never took a camera crew into a bar to film them drink and get in a fight and pick up chicks. It happened. But we, we, we know it happened yeah. now, but yeah, but, I, but they didn't have, they didn't have the technology back then. I guarantee you that there is something in the celebrity psyche that if they would have had a phone with them that could record all this stuff. They would probably have that same ego that says, watch me drink this beer and beat that dude's ass. Maybe so, Tut. Maybe so. But what I'm saying is they didn't. So otherwise, because then what is the reason that, uh, and those are 60s, 70s, but then you've got Willis, then you've got Arnold. Where is, where is this dearth of movie stars over 20 years? Because but I remember when uh, I remember reading a quote from Tarantino a few years ago when he was talking about how happy he was making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he made some kind of comment like I got the two biggest stars in my picture, Brad Pitt and Leo. And he was like excited about it. It's like this is he said something. This is three or three or four years ago, whenever it was. He said, like, I got the two biggest movie stars. And he mentioned those guys. And, you know, obviously Brad Pitt at his famous marriage to. Angelina Jolie, but otherwise those guys seem like they're very careful to protect a public persona. Uh, why, why is there no, it's been, if, if Willis to go, to go away from the guys I'm talking about that are older and, and, and long dead now, if Willis and Arnold were the, the, they were these, they were, they were movie stars, however, whatever you want to qualify that phrase, they were movie stars in the eighties and nineties. Where are these guys today? And I, I, I like Brad Pitt. It was a Brad Pitt film. It was when I saw the commercial for Babylon that I came up with the Tobey Maguire postulate. I like Brad Pitt. DiCaprio and him were awesome in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But where, where are the, you know, 
why hasn't there been these personalities in the last 20 years? You know, and I get it. You're like, well, these are the greats of the great. Yeah, but each successive generation has one. I mean, you know, there was Michael Jordan and then there's LeBron James and Kevin Durant, right? Like how come, how come there isn't another? But that product hasn't, that, that product hasn't changed. Like that product isn't based off of society saying, all right, now masculinity is defined as this. Now, uh, aggressive is defined as this. That's just a sport that the rules are there. They change a little bit, you know, from season to season, but society's opinion about athletes hasn't shifted as you know what constitutes a good three-point shooter whereas what constitutes a good movie star or a good representative or whatever that has changed and hollywood reflects that unfortunately so that so the time we live in of the last 20 years that really is the reason that it's certain people aren't allowed to be a certain way well i mean you're gonna talk like you know you know, creating a record, creating something. If you're going to base it on it, then you have to say like every time someone has to do something even better. But we've been accumulating things, stats, data, scores, movies, and you keep raising it. At some point, a human being can only go so far. Guy can only make some movies. I mean, unless he's going to be like, I'm recording like, three movies a year and just blow this out. I'm going to be making act, you know, just huge action film after action film, or I'm going to be making just intense drama level. You know, I am bringing these characters, but I was like, how many can they do? And, and like I said, nowadays I just, it used to be, it used to be one screen. And then it was two screens, the big screen and the little screen. And I, think, it was, I think we're getting closer to the fact that because of the way society is now and with the way that we have 100% access to these characters, I think that's kind of answering your question, Doc, because it's hard to develop this larger-than-life persona in terms of the silver screen or the TV screen or, or Netflix production or whatever, when you've got, I'm this larger than life persona. Now please subscribe to my video and you can watch me iron my clothes. I mean, you you, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be relatable on social media and then expect to be larger than life. That those two words are anathema. And maybe that's why I can still watch a Tom Cruise movie and get sucked into it and believe that he's a secret agent um, or or a, a, a fighter pilot because I'm not watching Tom Cruise iron his clothes. He's a very private dude. Um, and I think for the most part, Doctor, to go to your point about the old drinkers, I mean, he's kind of had this public resurgence here in the last year. But, I mean, the closest thing we got there has got to be Johnny Depp and – Man, people love that dude walking around with a glass of wine. I was going to say Josh Brolin. He's, uh, yeah, but no one's ever called that guy a movie star. What was that terrible? What was that Hex movie he tried to be a? Yeah, Jonah Hex. Hex. Yeah, but in terms, but in terms of hard drinking, hard living, that dude's, that dude's there. Yeah, but he, but Johnny had box office to pair it with. uh, Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, and I, and I like Brolin with the few things I've, I've seen of him, but, uh, it is interesting. Uh, Yaks, we were talking about The Rock. Didn't you see, uh, Black Adam? I did. What'd you think? I liked it. You liked it? I did like it. Well, okay. Here's a problem. Of course, all these films heavily green screened and there's, I don't know what, uh, you know, spoilers, whatnot. I mean, it's been out for a while. So there's just like some character choices where I'm like, I, I don't feel like they were, I don't know what they felt like they were changing something because they're trying to, you know, how, you know, what I know of black Adam as the character versus the way the rock is portraying it versus the way the other characters that they have, so, I mean, like, you bring in certain actors. I mean, obviously, like, in this, this instance in Black Adam, uh, Pierce Brosnan is playing Dr. Fate. And there's a real, there's an actor. There's a guy who's got a lot of range. He can do it all. Yeah. You can't say he can't bring, you know, some action. He can't bring some stuff. I mean, he was James Bond. He's done all these done. He's done spy thrillers. He's done it. So he's got the chops for all of it. And I felt like when I watched it, that guy was just on the leash. He couldn't do anything. Yeah. Could make no interesting choices with the character. Just uh, right. kind of restrict. I, I felt like he was, he, I felt like his character was on rails. He was just. To be honest, I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge superhero movie fan. I, I enjoy the genre, but I've got a lot of superhero fatigue right now. I just. Well, and like I said, I mean. And I just want to see got, something well, different, man. And, and yes, and the problem is, is like, so you can say you do it on the big screen, but you also have it say, I'm going to do it on the big screen, but I'm doing it on the little screen. But it, for superheroes on the little screen, is it live action? Is it animated? You know, there's, and don't forget, you still got comic books coming out. So yeah. there's just multiple portrayals of all these characters and none of them now intersect. I mean, they're, if you're watching on the movie, it doesn't mean that's what's yeah. going on. Frankly, it confuses the hell out of me. Yeah, I'm when kinda, I'm starting to, I'm starting to throw my hands up at the whole thing. I, I, I did actually when there started to be multiple flashes, and I, it was just getting a little yeah. too. I don't, I, don't, I don't need, I don't need that kind of confusion in my life. Uh, well, but, you know, but you know, and everybody, and the only thing is, everybody, the the studios embrace the concept, which had been in the comic books forever, the multiverse concept to make. So we can just do whatever we want to with this character. It has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And I'm like, but, okay, but great. Now you've, bro- you've broken my tie to the character because what I'm watching has nothing to do with anything. Correct. Oh, they, they don't care if you're a, a lifelong reader of the comics anymore. You you paid your ticket. That's all they give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so. And it's... A lot of these flicks seem to be made by corporate committees as much as filmmakers, which would mean yeah. this is why Pierce Brosnan can't do anything good because they've already given him this little box that he needs to play by these rules. It's just, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Well, you know, uh, and, and that's one of those things because so this Black Adam character, it, he's supposed to fit within a certain, you know, segment within the DCU and then. So, like, within the movie, they bring in 
the Justice Society, which obviously is Fate and Hawkman and some other characters. But I'm like, so there's this background story to these guys, which they never go into. They don't fill you in on anything other than that. Yeah, you're supposed to know. I mean, you, if you know comics, you know who the Justice Society is. Great. But give me something else. Cause it's like, did Apache Chief know, show up? I wish he did. It sounds, it sounds like it was not even surface level, but like 10 feet above the surface level. It was. I mean, we were, I was like, okay, I was like, I know these characters, but I don't know this iteration. You've given me nothing other than like, yeah. yeah. So I know who these characters are. I know their backgrounds, but you're not giving me anything because this is apparently, this is all new. This is off top, this is off topic. I didn't, I didn't submit this as a, you know, something that I'd watch, but it it is something that I'd watched recently. Um, it was a animated series on Netflix called, uh, Edge Runners. It's based off of a game called Cyberpunk and it's, it's in the cyberpunk genre. You know, it's all futuristic. You know, people have, uh, cybernetic augmentations. And the thing I like about it, and I'm not going to go into too much, but um, the stories were extremely edgy and true to the cyberpunk genre and just the brutality of the night city that it's set in. There are no happy stories. I don't, I, I, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. Don't go into it expecting a happy ending. And I love the fact that they didn't give you a happy ending. They kept it edgy the entire way through. And they were like, I know what our focus group said. And our focus group said they wanted to wrap it up with a nice little bow and make everything milk toast. And the producer said, fuck that. We're making some spice here. And I, I think that's what we're kind of lamenting is that there's not that spice in media anymore. That's because that's not going to have the audience of Black Adam. And, right. and to go back to to Yaks, I think made a made an excellent point there. Um, here's Brosnan. I, although the guy doesn't look at it, and I hope we can all drink from the same fountain of youth, he's pushing seventy. So yeah. what's he gonna do when they give him when he gets this part? He's gonna he's not gonna challenge. He's gonna he's gonna as Yak said, he's gonna stay on those rails because he just got. He's no longer a leading man. He's he just got himself a fat ass paycheck to be in this big movie, which is going to lead to yeah. other gigs. He's not going to challenge that and try to do something more with it. He's going to play by those rules and stay in those rails. But you know, and and this is why I say this: they got a good guy to portray, which is you know for the DCU, that's their Doctor Strange, okay. And he's got the chops to fill it out. And I mean, I'm not saying he's got, we've got to go have this long in-depth whatever, but any, I was like, y'all could have given him, cause I mean, he's, he was throwing out the big concepts, obviously for the movie. Cause he's the mystical guy. He's the, I, I see the universe. I see, I see all the pieces fitting yeah. together. So I was like, if there was anyone to explain some of the things going on, and give it a little bit of gravitas within the movie. It was that guy. Yeah. And I just was like, you know, it, it felt like, you know, he was literally reading the 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 board across the, the the script board across the room while he's doing his scene. 
And I'm like, I don't feel it. But the corporate producers, to Cade's point, and this would have sounded very hipster if any one of us said it 10 or 12 years ago, but today it doesn't. They don't want him to do that because the comic book movie of today in the last 10 years, it's a light show. It's an IMAX light show. This is what the kids want to see. They're going to buy the tickets. We're going to give you a two and a half hour IMAX light show. They're not coming here to yeah. see Pierce Brosnan cut his chops. They they want the light show, and that's what we're going to give them because, hey, man, it, it makes us 300 million ducks, bucks domestically or 500 yeah. million. Yeah. That's what the they same, want. That's not, that's not hipsterism or cynicism. That's just fucking reality with this shit. I think you're yeah. right. Um, and you know what? Before we move off the rock real quick, um, which from all accounts, I, everything I saw of him in that movie, Yax, that dude's like bigger than ever. Oh, he is. Absolutely. Like he, the, guy, for, the guy is just a mountain at this point. Well, the, if you, you, know, you want to talk about social media, the Rock's media is, I'm doing this movie, I'm working on this, and the other 95% of everything you'll see me in is in the gym, just working out. What do right. I do when I go home? I work out. He literally has, I don't know how many houses, <laughs> three or four, but he literally has like an identical gym at every one of his houses. So wherever he goes, and if he's on set, it's like in his contract, he has a gym that they have to set up wherever he is. Kate, do you remember, do you remember the scene in, uh, uh, Pain and Gain when they were talking and, uh, like the cops are coming in and it's really high tense and, uh, Mark Wahlberg sits down at, at the little bench press. It's, it's like, I can't think, I can't think, gets to the bench press and Rock is like, yeah. That's right. That's right. Let's get some pump on. Let's let's do some pump stuff. I just, oh man, talk was, about uh, and that that director. I don't even like Michael Bay, but he knocked it out of the park. That one. Yeah, it was still a little too uh, bayish for me, but uh, but Rock was well, great. It was very teal and orange the entire way through. It was. Well, I believe they're in Miami, and that's what you do. Uh, at least I think they were in Florida. But anyway, before we move off the rock real quick, it, it did make, it does watching his choices, safe choices at this, at this stage. I think you guys would probably agree with me that that makes me respect the hell out of what John Cena, another former wrestler has the approach he's taken with his career because that dude has had the most Mr. America wholesome making all the make a wish kids. I mean, that dude was the golden boy and he is not afraid to take that public image and turn it upside down, whether it be the peacemaker series, whether it be he was in the adult comedy rockers in which he did some crazy shit. Oh man, his, his stuff. He was chugging, in, uh, was chugging it, beers was out of his train wreck with uh, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer. He his was in there. He was in the the uh, Will Ferrell, uh, Amy Poehler gambling movie. He was really good oh, in that. Oh God, yeah. But that, uh, you're you're absolutely right. He, that John Cena actually, I I will be I will bang the drum for John Cena as an actor. Uh, is he a great actor? No, but he's developing hand over fist. He's getting better every time I've seen him, and I think that he's very underrated. I think that he I can actually too. carry stuff. His uh, his peacemaker stuff is just God, that is so damn good. I haven't seen it, but I can only imagine. I've heard nothing but good, but good stuff. Um, 
All right. Well, um, well, I've got you both here. Yaks, how you digging the Bear Witch cigar? I'm liking it very, very, very much. It has had and get towards the last half of this, and it is very chocolatey for me. You getting a lot of chocolate? And the, and the great thing here is this beer. I mean, it's a holiday beer, but it's not a chocolate beer. So I mean, all the chocolate I'm getting is coming mm-hmm. out of this cigar. Mm-hmm. So I'm liking that, but it's not it's not sweet chocolate. I like that. The pepper, I mean, it's it's for me medium to mild. I mean, I, I get it, uh, you know, some right there on the nose, and for the, most of that, and I mean, it's just it's a it's a soft sort of a leather hay component going on, and I'm just it's 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 super tasty. Uh, I I loved it. I scored it a ninety three. Um, like I told Steve, a ninety two point five five, which rounded up to a ninety three. Uh, <laughs> I heard t- Halfwell gave it a ninety two point nine seven. <laughs> <sighs> we'll never know. And tight. I can only guess by the smile on your face, you're still live like in the soccer con. Have you found yes. out what's interesting the nuts? No. <laughs> no. Strangers no. nuts. Strangers, uh, so. no, it, 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 it is, it is really, really good. The, uh, need to work on more descriptives. It's really, really good. <laughs> the, the pepper has, uh, <laughs> the pepper has picked up in that retro hail. Uh, so I'm getting a little bit more of that classic Nicaraguan pepper. Um, there, should I say the Liga ask pepper? That's coming through the mineral components, catching back into it. It's starting to present itself like a, uh, like a traditional Nicaraguan deal. But keep in mind, I'm over halfway through this thing. And so you've gone from this really nuanced, rich kind of earthiness and just great lightness that was coming through the not this portion of the cigar or that portion of the cigar, but through that first portion sure. of the cigar. Sure. Uh, I can't say thirds because Sokka doesn't like breaking the cigars into thirds. Um, 25th. But you've, but you've got this great transition from that nuanced, mature coming into, all right, I've given you that and now I'm going to give you what you want. This is, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you all that shit that you just really love me for and that's kind of what this cigar is doing right now and it, you said that it by the end of it it really punches up so if it goes even more for that man it's gonna be a hell of a ride i'm i'm really i'm i'm really appreciating it i knew you guys uh i knew you'd like it ton every time uh you're looking for a descriptive word just do what the doctor does just throw out the term noteworthy every now and again it is this is so noteworthy. It is well, see, extremely if you, noteworthy. If you had said that, I'd be like, oh, shit. But instead, you're like, this cigar is, like, really good. and It's a also, good cigar. It's a really, really good cigar. Now you are officially the Toby Maguire of cigar reviewers. I don't know why I think Toby Maguire is underrated, by everybody, the way. Everybody's going to be like, what is this dude reviewing cigars for? Don't get him. Don't get him at all. I, it's 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 one of those interesting guys that I think that 
I think that there's something there. I, I just I don't know what's there. You're at an Austin cigar lounge. Just sit there when someone, how's that? Go, just go, well, it's very noteworthy. And go, oh, this guy's, this good. guy's cigar aficionado. This guy's good. Uh, this is not the Jonah Hill of cigars. This is a good, <laughs> this is a really, a really good cigar. Um, <laughs> I'm I going appreciate to... Jonah Hill. What's wrong with Jonah Hill? This is the Jesse Eisenberg of broadleaf cigars. What's wrong with Jesse Eisenberg? Oh God. Oh, this is the Michael Sarah of Oh, Sizzler. don't you talk bad about Michael Sarah. Jesus God, Tut. Good Lord. Basically, if you're in movies and you look like you're 12 and you're an androgynous robot, Tut loves you. <laughs> oh, and by the way, as far as the Justice League, I had asked you kind of flippantly earlier, Yaks, if Apache Chief made an appearance. I got a, I just got a note. I, he's not allowed to call himself that anymore. It is now the Washington football team chief. <laughs> and Kate and I will go back to a superhero movie when they bring back Mr. Mixelplick in his little derby hat. It better be oh, Danny DeVito. It better be Danny DeVito. Well, we were thinking we could just shrink Seth Rogen down. Ah, uh, uh, put a little top hat on Michael Sarah. Okay, all right, maybe. I don't know why my DC executives sound like Guy Fieri. Put a little top hat on Michael Sarah. Oh yeah. Welcome to Flavor Town. I'm in the Hall of Justice. I'm making mozzarella sticks. It's the bomb.com. <laughs> oh. Wonder Twin Powers, make me some blue cheese. Dude, they do it. Jaina, a bucket of blue cheese dressing. <laughs> oh. When uh, I want fondue, I go visit Black Mantis at the Hall of Dew. <laughs> Come inside, Guy Fieri. <laughs> Meanwhile, Guy Fieri at the Hall of Doom. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Flavor Town. Meanwhile, Toy Man and Sullivan Grundy make up some of their famous tater tots. <laughs> uh, These are delicious. Need more breadcrumbs, says Solomon Grundy. <laughs> uh, Tut, Yaks, you both, when I was asking you what, what stuff you've been checking out, you guys actually both listed the same thing on both your lists. So I guess I need to ask if it was any good or if you both are pissed that you what wasted time. What did we say? You guys just watched a brand new uh, Norwegian film on Netflix called Troll. That's right. I'm all about the foreign flicks. You're classy. Like, hey, was it a noteworthy film? It was a noteworthy foreign <laughs> flick film. Yax, did you find it noteworthy? It was. Surprisingly. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, for a lot of them, yeah, they're just like us. Someone made a movie, blah, blah, blah. But you could actually tell that they put some budget behind this. Uh Uh-huh. The the troll. Scenes. Cities. The group of ragtag Norwegians get kind of thrown together to take on this this huge monstrous troll, right? So, So basically what it is is that this girl has an estranged father who's this believer in trolls and he's tried to prove their existence. They used to, you know, roam the, roam the land side of Norway and then they've, they disappeared for a long time. 
And he's kind of a conspiracy theorist, like, you know, it's a government hiding. The government doesn't want you to know about these <laughs> trolls. He's got the trolls. The trolls are in cahoots with George Soros and the lizard people. <laughs> you know, that literally not, not, is the father. He's, I mean, he's over there like saying this and, you know, troll farts are releasing ammonia. Is, troll farts I mean, are releasing ammonia into our atmosphere. Well, they, have, they maybe had they like a, a little bit more gruff voice. He could have done that part perfectly. So they have they have a mining company that goes in and wakes one of these trolls up, and uh, he apparently is one of the kings, uh, a former king of the trolls, and he's going to the capital city of Norway to where his former den is. And they have to stop him. And that's these, the premise of the movie. But, but these trolls, because I'm used to my kids like trolls. They're the, the little trolls. Uh, well, these are these would be classified as mountain trolls or grumpy. Giants. But grump, traditionally, trolls are like grumpy little things that live under bridges. No, Techni- no. Well, yeah, there's those there was, trolls, too. Any. What's, all right. So, like, you know, you you. Like like Lord of the Rings, you know, you see like, oh, they've got a mountain troll, which is literally a giant. But in this instance, yeah. this giant mountain troll is just that. It's not like he's like 150 feet tall. Yeah. He's like Godzilla. Little thing under a bridge. How in the hell is this little team of Norwegian out- outcasts going to take on a 150 foot troll? Well, you have to know the well, rules of the trolls. Oh, but, there's, okay. This is starting, first of all. It's starting to sound more and more like something. Second I of all, don't feed them after midnight. And that's and, gremlins. You know, no, that's those, gremlins. Those, those, are, those are gremlins. Yeah, that, that doesn't work. Oh, I'm not. They do. The they don't like sunlight. Like most mystical <laughs> trolls, sunlight turns them to stone. They already look like stone. Hence, how they can hide in the mountains. I was always confused about this, though, because it was like they I almost think the Norwegian because there's different there's different creatures. You know, there's different lore to different creatures. So there's like the Western troll uh, in Western mythology that hides under the bridge that talks, gives you the riddles and that stuff. The Norwegian trolls are these like big, massive mountainous stone things. And uh it almost sounds like they turn to stone before the sunlight rises because if they're exposed to sunlight, the sunlight kills them. I think that's the Norse myth, the Norwegian mythology on trolls is that they have to turn to protect themselves from the sunlight. But if they're caught out in the sunlight, then bad things happen. Well, there's so many, um, it's way more. Trolls types of trolls than I was aware of. Uh, did you know well, in the, er- I, in the yes. early two thousands? In the early two thousands, our very own doctor uh, used to get really drunk on malt liquor and go onto the ESPN message boards and say some really hurtful, vile things. And he he's actually the first internet troll. I was about to say that's the American internet <coughs> troll. You are very correct, sir. That was our very own doctor that started all that. <laughs> I think Cody made it. Cody made a good comparison that, that uh, I've never posted on a message. <laughs> Cody made a good comparison that I really, I I just watched it as a bubblegum flick, and I was like, the special effects are really cool. There's a lot of buzz around this movie, so I kind of want to check it out. But Cody was like, yeah, it's the Norwegian Godzilla. It's 
you know, it's their take on a Godzilla story. And it kind of was because you have the environmentalism that kicks in. That's a, that's an underlying theme. You've got this troll that's kicking ass through whatever city of Norway it is. Well, uh, I, I'm just going to go on the record. And, you know, and, 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 and well, the reason I say that, so what, what struck me in the movie is so like in the very beginning. So, you know, and they did this in, in like, so when they made Godzilla originally, and then when they brought it over, to the U.S. to try and, you know, to sell it over here, they were, let, were like, you know, it's a, it's a Japanese film. We're going to have to do a whole voiceover thing. And then they brought in Raymond Burr. They recut a few scenes to bring in an American actor to, to sell it to the American audiences. They did the same thing here with Troll. Uh, uh, Campbell. Uh, Bruce. No, no, not Bruce. Bill Campbell? Billy. Billy Campbell. The Rocketeer? Uh, he, yes, the Rocketeer, which they actually used the exact same name, the UC Cord, as his character name. And in the Rocketeer, his character's last name was Secord. And he's in he's in this Norwegian movie? So like, uh, well, Tut would know this. So when they're, when the, when the guy's daughter is on the archaeological dig, they're all speaking English. The, the, oh, that the, was the, him. Okay. That was him. Hmm. So oh, that sorry, was their, huh. that was their okay. tie in to sell it to us over here in the U.S. Because everybody else sell, was, they didn't was a, need was to Norwegian sell that to me. It was a fun story. Just, just rock on with your Norwegian right. self. That he was, he was kind of playing like, Get your little wooden shoes and kick that troll's ass, man. That shows you, though, how misconceived the Norwegian film executives are. If we want America, if we want American seats in a- in asses, then we need star like Billy Campbell. Like that's yeah. gonna bring. Like dude, I think not, maybe dude, somebody just really loved the Rock Tier, so they wanted to work with that guy. Like. I mean, I haven't seen that guy in, in, in decades. Uh, not nothing against Billy Campbell. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but, uh, Todd, did you even know that was the Rockets here? No, I had no clue. No. <laughs> it was him. All right. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God. Golden mask. I mean, I didn't know. All right. But, you, but you guys I like. I thought maybe somewhere like, later in the film, he was going to battle the troll with the rocket pack, but you know, hey, we all dream. We all dream. It's a worthwhile. It's a worthwhile watch. It's it's definitely an entry into the monster genre. I think it's a good entry into it. Uh, You know, it's it's not the greatest, but it's a fun watch. So if if you're scrolling through Netflix and you got you come across it, watch it. It'll be fun. And the best thing of it is at the very end, they end it with Hall of the Mountain King as its credit score. How can you not have a giant troll who's a king of trolls that came from a mountain and not end it with Hall of the Mountain King? Good job. Thank you, Edvard Grieg. I would have ended with Rainbow's uh, Man on the Silver Mountain. but and That's why you are wrong, Also, sir. that would have worked as well. No, it wouldn't. Thank you, Richie no. Blackmore. We need no. you. They couldn't. Have, they couldn't have gotten Blackmore. They, they can't afford Blackmore's music. They paid all that Billy Campbell m- money. Look, Blackmore's night 
Nowadays is freaking awesome. He's doing even more Renaissance Fair type music. Uh, awesome. I know. I know. It is actually pretty awesome. Um, okay. I, I, well, you know what? No, we've talked enough about trolls. I, I just, I just think that you should just make come up. If you're going to be something that's, that's different than what the majority of people associate that term with, just name yourself something different. Oh, uh, most people think of trolls as living under bridges and little like. No, no, no. You're thinking like an American dude. It's yeah. The Follow Norwegian my rules. troll. No, the Norwegian trolls. That's right. They, they, they have do, their own fucking. Oh, I'm sorry, Todd. <laughs> what was that? You hate America? Yeah, sounds like somebody ought to head to Norway. Dude, extend oh. your fucking mind, man. Dude. There's a <laughs> wide world out there. Embrace it. Go over there and eat your Norway fries. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'll, I'll, tell you what I, I'll tell you what I learned real fast. Go up, go up to Canada and order some Canadian bacon. See what you get. Sweet ham. No, it's just Canadian bacon. Yeah, wait for Apollo through there. Didn't get it. <laughs> no, they, they they call it uh pea meal bacon. Pea meal? I don't know what that means. Yeah. They 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 refer to what we think of as Canadian bacon, they call it pea meal bacon. What are they called? ordering? I'm not ordering something called pea meal bacon. For them, Canadian bacon is our normal bacon. But they don't say, but they don't say Canadian. They just call it bacon, like us. So we bolt bacon as bacon. And them playing by our rules is why we've let them, we've let them stay their own little friendly little country and not invaded them. We're like, you call bacon bacon. Okay. Okay. Well, that and they're so damn polite. That's what I'm saying. They just go with it, you know? They're really nice people. Yeah. Uh, well, while you guys were soaking in all this new media on Netflix and Apple Plus, I was up to my usual antics over on my favorite streaming service, the Tubi. Uh, I was looking for stuff for us to, to possibly do on the, on our last show tonight. Um, instead of what we're doing now, which is just kind of doing a little round table, shoot the shit. Um, but I discovered, a film I definitely wanted to throw out there for you folks at home and, and you guys. It is the 1984 made for TV flick invitation to hell. And I'd had this in my watch list forever. And I, I had so long, I had forgotten why I'd put it in there. Um, it stars the main ice pirate himself, Robert Urich. Okay. All right. And the ageless, like this is going. the ageless beauty, uh, Susan Lucci. Yeah, uh, yeah. Man, I think she still looks really good. She, uh, she's like Morgan Fairchild. She just doesn't, doesn't age. Um, and it was directed and I, I, I didn't realize this till the film was over and I saw the end credits and I'm like, Oh, I bet that's why I put it in there. It is directed by one, a young Wes Craven. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, straight to TV. All right. So. I don't know whose idea it was to hire the director of Last House on the Left to make a ABC Sunday night movie, but, uh, that's corporate, that's corporate balls I can respect right there. Um, but you man, can make it a little bit, you know, you can give it something, a little flair, spice it up. Oh, I can the do American that. Corpo's had balls. It's, it's so good. It, it's, uh, now it is very of the time as far as, uh, you know, an 84 aesthetic to it, but, 
it's part Halloween three, part body snatchers, part uh Stepford Wives. Hey, and at the end of it you're, you're talking some good stuff. And at the end of it, like I didn't know if the the portal was actually to hell or to another planet. It was a very kind of two thousand one space odyssey ending on a budget. Uh really, really small budget. Uh where it it left me with questions, which I don't expect usually from a 1984 made-for-TV movie starring Susan Lucci. But man, I highly I highly encourage you guys to go out and watch Invitation to Hell. Okay. Uh, or as I or as I call it, everything every uh, Halloween when Tut uh, invites me to his party. Oh, I'm hitting that party up next year, man. I'm gonna be the life of that party. I, I would say that you're, I would say that you're going to feel sad when you don't get the invitation, but I'm not going to do that to you, man. You got an open invitation. Yeah, I would, I would feel really bad. And doctor, just so you know, you have to dress up. I already got my costume picked out. The TNC, coming as the TNCC doctor. Dr. Loomis, baby. I'm going to put on a bald cap and a trench coat, have a little silver handled Colt pistol in there and show up speaking Loomis talk. If you do that, I'm definitely getting the Kirk mask, and I will. I'll go full, full Michael. Got hands me one of those beers he's drinking in Idaho. God in heaven, dude! I could show up uh, dressed like PJ Souls. You should absolutely. I, I like it. I'm totally go getting on. drunk tonight. <laughs> You're talking about Kate as if he were a normal alcoholic. That part of him died years ago. Oh I looked into his eyes. It was pure booze. It was pure four logos. You can show up as a Dr. Hoffman. Even if Cade's muscles were, were <laughs> even if he were conscious, his blood alcohol content would render him useless. <laughs> talking about him as if he were a normal drunkard. That part. Oh my yeah, God. Lewis and Hoffman. Oh, I want that scene. I want that scene. Did I say that to my parents when I'm leaving town on Friday? Oh, Heading to Cedar Park, the four-hour drive. If you don't find Kate in four hours, I'm sure I will. <laughs> All right, I'll go to the damn party. <laughs> uh, and then I also saw one other flick that I was like, man, this would have been so good on our March to Halloween this year. Um, but I don't want to wait till next year to, to give it a shout out because, man, I, I think it's really cool. It uh, also streaming on Tubi. Uh, and this is one I just blindly clicked play on. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know. I literally just, I was like, I'll sit here for an hour checking out shit or I can just hit play on something. I think I was doing something else, just having a background, but then I ended up quickly sitting down and just watching the damn thing. Um, it is called He's Watching. Uh, came out in the last one or two years. It's directed by Jacob Estes. And it stars his two children, Iris Estes and Lucas Estes. Uh, the daughter is teens and then the, the son is a little bit younger, maybe 12, uh, tops. And what I love about this movie is I wondered a lot. And we talked to when we had Billy Gould from Faith No More on the show this year, we talked about how much music he did during the quarantine lockdown via Zoom with other musicians. They would just get on there and jam and, and I always kind of wondered why more filmmakers, especially horror filmmakers, didn't use that lockdown time where everybody was home and nobody was doing anything. Like, how come they didn't create some stuff? 
you've got these phones now that are better than, you know, a lot of film cameras. And I, I just, I, it seems like it was ripe territory for like that movie. We watched the host about the girls on the zoom. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. Like that guy figured it out. He's like, Hey, as long as we're all done this, or as long as we're all stuck in our houses, let's make a horror film. And he made a great, I love that. I thought he was so good. Yeah. I thought it was very, very, very topical and very cool. Well, this is another, this is an example of a guy who actually did that. He's like, got his family together and was like, all right, we're stuck here together. Why don't we make a, make a movie? Uh, it takes place and they never say COVID, but it's obviously, um, a, a national pandemic, uh, where the two kids are locked down at their house in Los Angeles. Well, their parents are hospitalized and, um, with whatever this affliction going around is and they can't get them on the phone and they're not allowed to go to every once in a while they go over to their neighbors, but everybody's wearing masks and the neighbors, you know, don't want to let them in. And, um, they, they, it, le- so they start, the kids start using their phones to make little videos for their mom and dad as they just do their routine, you know, stuff during the day. And it slowly over the course of an hour and a half just turns into this total kind of paranoid mind fuck of a movie with these kids just kind of starting to their, their little world in this house alone just kind of closing in on them. And there's some really well done scary effects. Um, doctor, it kind of remind me of a movie that we both uh have seen and and agreed we'll, we'll probably never see again uh david lynch's inland empire in that the those real jarring quick um terrifying little moments um this thing is just there it's it's constant like you know you're going to be scared in the next minute and you and you're sometimes you kind of can guess where it's coming from but it just this guy was relentless in the shit that he had his seemingly two willing uh, kids do. And the end result is just really impressive, not just from a do it yourself kind of low budget or no budget filmmaking, uh, because at the end, the credits, it seemed like what I'm guessing is as he was filming this, uh, cause he, he, you know, he's a filmmaker. He, I think he was like sending maybe clips to special yeah, effects, would upload it friends and then they would kick it back. And so it was like, it was kind of like those musicians on zoom only, he's doing it all electronically, uh, you know, sharing files and stuff. But, uh, that aside, you know, a lot of movies are, the circumstances are made are really cool, but they're not actually good movies that you can recommend. Uh, this is a really good horror film. It's called he's watching. And, uh, and for not being actors, those two kids were phenomenal. Uh, I guess, you know, being directed by dad in your own house, maybe, uh, I don't know if it was their house, but, with your brother, with your sibling as your co-star, they're the only two real characters in the film. Like, I guess it was just the ingredients were there for them to be relaxed and comfortable in, in front of the camera. But man, uh, really, really, really recommend that one. I think, uh, I think you guys would like it. I think doctor, I think you might really dig it. Yeah. Uh, and Todd, I think just from a technical standpoint, how they did some of these effects and some of the camera moves, uh, I think, I think you'd like it. Check it out. Definitely it's out. called He Watched. He's watching. He's watching. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So those those were two that I definitely wanted to to bring up to you guys. Um 
there is one more movie um, that we were going to do tonight. We t- I, Steve asked, so I I kind of spoiled it earlier. So uh, I do want to talk about this, but first, and Doctor, I think uh, you'll see this coming. We, I mentioned to you briefly. As as long as an evening as this has been between our, our chat with Steve and and tonight, I don't know if I'm up for this, but I, I've got to try to. Uh, I brought out. The boot of remembrance, a new boot. Uh, turns out our sponsors, the wonderful folks at JC Newman and company, uh, for their Bricktoberfest, uh, they sent us a, a new boot. Oh man. Now even our release to the afterlife is sponsored. Yeah. Your release from purgatory into the heavens and cosmos brought to you by JC Newman cigar company. Uh, the oldest American cigar company in existence. And they didn't pay me to say that. Well, sort of. Oh, you want to go to the afterlife? We've been there and returned. <laughs> so I'm going to use this new J.C. Newman boot tonight, a little something different. But here's a uh, speaking of do-it-yourself filmmaking, uh, which uh, was done really well with He's Watching way before that, over 20 years ago. Uh, longtime listeners of our show will that will know that I am a huge, maybe the hugest fan of the 1999 documentary American movie uh, about renegade Wisconsin filmmaker Mark Borchardt's never-ending quest to make a feature film. And I was super saddened recently to hear about the passing of Mark's best friend and his loyal sidekick, Mike Shank. Uh, and sidekick, I'm not sure is the right word. Shank was nobody's sidekick. He, 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 uh, Mike Shank was a crucial ingredient. Hey, he, was his, he was his own power. He was. He he did have a, a, a lot of restrained power within him. Uh, and he was a crucial ingredient in making American movie the classic that it is. Um, from his unintentionally hilarious one-liners to his spot-on perfect acoustic guitar playing, which ended up being the soundtrack for the for the film. Uh, he was loyal, lovable lion who never left Borchardt's side amongst all the swirling, mostly drunken chaos that uh, that that was Mark's undoing. And I was just genuinely bummed out because I've seen that movie so many times. And then he would go on later. Mark and Mike would go on like David Letterman. They showed up in a family guy as animated Mark and Mike. Um, and I, I just, wow. I just got really bummed out when I learned that on October 13th, uh, he died at the age of 56 from cancer. Uh, so I am going to end 2022. By filling up the boot of remembrance for Mike Shank because he had a profound effect on me. And anytime a connection like that is made through a television screen, I think it's worth celebrating. And in this case, commemorating. Uh, and doctor, I, 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 you know, we always reach out for votes to if someone could fill the boot or not, but I, we had talked about it and I, I know you've, you've got a soft spot in your heart for Mike Shank too. I'm sure I would have got your, your blessing. Uh, I will go ahead and agree with that. Just remember, Cade, you, what I'm seeing right here. No. You don't know, you know what I'm looking at through this right here. No. Well, you would. <laughs> I, I didn't get it right. I was saying, well, you will. Yeah, you, you will, pal. You will. Uh, my my favorite Mike Shank line is they they've got some uh, actors that have shown up at Mark's parents' house for this big scene where they play these druids. And, uh, Mark and Mike are standing side by side and the actors are maybe 
five feet in front of them. And Mark turns to Mike. So I was trying to keep Mike, make Mike feel useful. He's like, Hey, Mike, man, make sure everybody's got a pair of brown gloves. And Mike's like, got it. And he turns, Hey, does everybody have brown gloves? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I just can't encourage if you haven't seen American movie, it's, 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 it, it is a very accurate snapshot of America in a lot of ways. I love, I, I just love the film to death. Uh, so now as the rules of the Tuesday night Scott club, I'm going to fill the boot of remembrance. Uh, and by drinking it, by chugging it, if you will, uh, of course, I can't. Mike was a big fan member of Surge soft drink. Uh-huh. He, I I couldn't find any Surge to fill the boot with. I'm sure that would have killed me if I did chug a boot full of Surge. <laughs> um, instead, I'm just gonna. Instead, I'm just gonna kill myself a little bit slower with uh, a craft IPA because that's that's the only kind of IPAs I drink, pal. Crafts. Um, so here we have our new little boot. And by drinking this, Mike, uh, hopefully you can find the, the peace, uh, that you deserve. Cause, uh, uh, you, br- you brought me a lot of happiness and, uh, and the dog, the doctor as well. I'm, I'm assuming you two knuckleheads and the other screens you haven't seen it, have you? I have not seen it. I, you make it sound wonderful. The boot, the boot of remembrance. I don't lie. <laughs> With my heroes, yeah. Top of the hill, top of the hill, baby. Uh, okay, that wasn't too bad. I'm no fear, but I I tried. Uh, you are no Fritz Beer, my friend. Um, but uh, a class to remember. By the way, speaking of Fritz Beer, we actually went down to uh, the Bon Air in Austin. I'm going to get hung out with Fritz Beer. Let's give a little uh, plug here. Uh, if you are in the Austin, Texas area, or if you're visiting Austin, which seems like everybody does all the time now, uh, you need to go to the Bon Air. It is the coolest. Uh, I don't want to call it a sports bar. It's a, it's a, it's like, it's like a local Midwest. It's based on like your favorite local Midwest watering hole, only with a gazillion flat screen TVs and just the most amazing atmosphere. And, a really impressive kitchen at, at prices that make you feel like uh, somebody just rubbed their nuts all over your cigar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. can't, can't believe what's happening. Uh, dude, the food yeah, is Yeah, the awesome. prices are really, really good. The food was great. The Scotty great. Brad's was just beautiful. The, the Scotty Brad is the way to go. Slather that fucker in um, mustard and onions. But it's all cooked there. Uh, to, uh, you know, when you order it, you can actually see the guy cooking in the back. Uh, huge, great beer selection. Uh, Yaks, they, uh, have your beloved electric jellyfish IPA. Ah, of course. And, uh, yeah, we actually went down there and had lunch, uh, and got to see our old boy Fritz. It had been a really long time and, um, it was a good visit. So, uh, all the music you hear, the front and closing of our podcast, uh, that is all Fritz beer. You can go to fritzbeermusic.com and, and, and buy some music from them. And, uh, I'm not allowed to say anything, but, uh, he gave me a demo CD of his latest album. I showed you that, didn't I, Ted? Or did I hide that? No, from you? you hide, you hit that. Yeah. He uh, pulled me aside and he, uh, yeah. was like, Hey, keep it on the down low, but let me know what you think. And, uh, all I'll say is 
it's amazing. And uh, wow. you, you folks are in for a treat. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, go down to the Bon Air. Uh, yeah, but- I actually I actually went down there about a week later to watch uh, the uh, U.S. England game, and it was a great atmosphere because it was a uh, uh, it it happened alongside um, uh, a Texas Longhorn game, so you had a lot of Longhorn fans in there, but you had a hell of a lot of U.S. soccer fans in there, and. It was it was a great atmosphere to watch it because everybody was yelling, everybody was into it, and I was just like, man, I I, I haven't watched an Austin FC game because they apparently have a big crowd that shows up for them, and I'm like, I, I can't think of a better place to watch these events. Yeah, and they for some reason uh, have become the adopted home of all the Austin, Texas, uh, transplanted Steeler fans. So every Steelers game, that place, they line up outside. It is packed wall to wall with people in their terrible towels, uh, just going nuts. So man, it's, and I see why it's just, it's just a really cool space and you don't see that non chain kind of, uh, yeah, it just, it just feels good. And I think that's right. It's not a chain. It's not, it's not just some corporate crap that's sitting there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dude's passion and you feel that in the restaurant and it turns out the vibe of the stuff that you're watching. It's really cool. I, uh, I could not agree more. Um, so folks, I hope you enjoyed tonight's show. It was a little bit different from our normal format. Um, instead of taking you scene by scene through a film while we smoke and drink, uh, I thought, fuck it. You know what? We're doing our conversation with Steve Maybe it'd be cool just to shoot the proverbial shit, uh, talk about some different things that we're all currently digging instead. So let us know if you, uh, if this worked. I will say, in case you were wondering, um, and, and I promised you guys I would, I would, I would let you talk. We were going to do the final alliance starring David Hasselhoff as the mysterious martial artist, uh, who shows up in his old town along with his pet puma to enact revenge against a biker gang led by an albino John Saxon. Uh, it sounds so preposterous. Sokka didn't believe that the movie existed. He actually looked it up while we were talking to him. He thought I was pulling his chain. Um, it is just as fucking fantastic as it sounds on paper. Um, sounds pretty fucking fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, 1990 Hoff. Uh, it may be the Hoff's best work yet, which is saying something. Uh, all I'm going to say is there is a scene where we see our, our titular character, his, his introduction as he gets out of his vehicle and then he walks a few feet and he stops. And then literally out of nowhere, cause they don't really, you know, there's not like they're going to say like, Oh, by the way. And then literally a puma comes up beside him and I'm like, I need to freeze this. I need a screenshot. I need to send it over to one of those guys to put this on velvet so I can hang it over my fireplace. Cause it's yes. that good. Yes. I'm like, I was like, are you shitting me? The hall, ha- this is like, I mean, you could come up with things like BJ and the bear, Hoff and the puma right there over my fireplace Just right there. Things. David Hasselhoff. Mountain lion. It, that's all you need. That's, that's all the, you need. That's when big wig corporate uh, movie producers had good ideas. <laughs> Whoever came up with this idea, 
God now, bless you, sir. Now, I will say this, spoiler alert, uh, the puma is pretty useless. It just kind of lays around the house. And, and even but it when, doesn't matter. I mean, literally, TNT there's this beautiful style. scene. I'm like, I, it's so picturesque. Like, and yeah. he's got this, 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 this leather cowboy hat and he's just like standing there, like, look at me. And boom, Puma out of nowhere. But that's right. It is the most TNCC Puma ever. Every time he calls for it, it's like, it's in the kitchen. It's just laying around the kitchen. In front of the air conditioner, like it, and every time he calls it out to like threaten dudes, like it doesn't do anything. It just turns around and goes back inside. Ugh, so tired. I loved it. I loved everything about this damn movie. Uh, when you told me about switching to the new format, I was like, yeah, let's, let's get this new format a shot. Let's get, let's give it. It was like, well, I was going to do a David Hasselhoff movie with a mountain lion. I was like, <laughs> David Hasselhoff with the mountain lion, you said. Yeah. All right. Uh, hang on. That that sounds good. It's on Tubi? All right. I hate Tubi, but I'm watching this, and I am so thankful I did. A few commercials never killed anybody, all right? No. It was literally the most glorious thing. I've Second most glorious thing I've ever seen David Hasselhoff in. And that's saying something because I've watched his cameo on Dodgeball where he's the coach of the German team, and that is absolutely brilliant. And this trumps it all kinds of ways. Hey, you mentioned that uh, you showed the trailer to Tut, but he hadn't seen Piranha 3 Double D. Yeah, I did send that. Yeah. Well, and and I will say this. It was Hasselhoff with the glorious facial hair. Not a full beard. Just a, just a longer than five o'clock shadow, but I was like, this is the best thing I've seen since Hoff did mirror, mirror Michael Knight on, you know, where he's got the, the, the diabolical, yeah, the, the evil pistachio. It was the evil and Michael I was just like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying that this, this film is cinematic gold. It is beautiful. It, it had everything for me. I, this movie, normally when we get these kind of movies, I'd be like, eh, whatever. But man, Hoff fucking delivered. The Puma delivered. I don't care if he was lazy or not. It's still a fucking mountain lion. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it kind of had a Tango and Cash vibe there at the end, uh, where like for some reason the mayor lived in this top secret fortress. Uh, with just armed guards everywhere carrying bales of drugs on their shoulders and you know nobody 1990 baby it was a small town off in mountain lion mountain (laughs) lion and hassle uh bo hawkins is no uh jack whatever that guy's name is uh what is it uh jack palance jack palance jack palance Bo hawkins is pretty damn good though yeah and he and he really don't you mean charlton heston no, that was Jack Palance, pal. In Tango and Cash? Yeah. Tango Cash. No, there's another dude, there's another dude I always get uh, Jack Palance uh, mixed up with. I can't remember who it was, but I think it might have been Heston. Well, they both have very uh, unusual deliveries, I, I suppose. Uh, yes. and, but, uh, man, it was just insane. Lee awesome. Uh, I can't recommend you folks at home. Um, you know, I, I, we basically said everything there is to say, uh, he, he gets the girl, he 
kicks the bikers' asses. Uh, and the thing is, it's so weird seeing David Hasselhoff. I think I mentioned this earlier, uh, maybe with Steve. It's so weird watching him do martial arts because he's like eight feet tall. So like when he kicks somebody, like that sweeping thing takes out like four dudes with one kick because his <laughs> limbs are like he's a really just big dude. There's this one scene where he's fighting a biker and he takes like, I guess it's a mace or whatever, some type of spray and sprays it on the dude. And the guy's like, ah, and then he looks at his buddy and before he can spray it, his buddy, has got these biker glasses and he just puts the biker glasses on. (laughs) I laughed my ass off on that. Just this whole thing with the biker going. (laughs) Final Alliance knows what it is. Um, actually, I think awesome. it thought, I actually awesome think it is what it is. I think it actually thought it was something way different than it is, but what it, what it is is awesome. Um, it thought that it was really up there, and, but I love that they swung for the fence. I love, yeah. I've, I always say that I can take, I can forgive a lot of things as long as I can tell that the project has heart and that I can, I can see the heart from everybody involved. And, and I, I got that. I mean, say what you will about Hoff, man. You you showed me that Prana 3DD clip, and I laughed my balls off because even though it's a parody, I can see Hoff's heart in it, and I just I, I love that. More than that. I love you that. Should, should, that's a that's a highly entertaining movie. If you haven't seen that, you should watch it. That that's over the top in uh, in every good way. Yax, did you ever see Hoff in, uh, or sorry, the Hoff in, um, Kung Fury? Yeah. It was, a, it, was it was a YouTube short film that was really big. It was kind of an eighties throwback, very stylized, uh, throwback, uh, kind of martial arts, but it, but it was, it was basically the, uh, a cinematic equivalent of like synth wave. Like it was very purposefully. Uh, done to just hey eighties everything and yeah but uh it it was it was actually really entertaining and they actually shot a feature Kung Fury movie uh it went into production right before quarantine and I think they finally managed to finish it last year or beginning of this year but I I want to see it because not only does the Hoff return but Arnold plays the evil town mayor Arnold. Oh, oh. Oh. Arnold plays, he, Arnold plays the Bo Hopkins role, uh, in it. So I am totally going to be like looking for that tomorrow. What if it's on Tubi? Still going to watch it? I'll still watch it. I just watched Final Alliance on Tubi. What are you talking about? Let me check my bank account, see if that Tubi checked, deposited, uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh. Tell you what, some beers always deliver just like the streaming content on Tubi. <laughs> Todd, I apologize we didn't get to talk uh on your on your list about murder she baked, the plum pudding mystery. Uh Sorry. you know, it Lansbury's Why are dead. you laughing, Mincy? Why are Lan- you laughing? Lansbury I, I want to see it. Lansbury's dead, but it's still just Way too soon. The, the wounds that she created are going to take years to heal. Uh, I, I just couldn't do murder. She baked the plum pudding mystery. 
Uh, oh, that's good because I mean, there's six movies in this franchise. And oh, it's a series. We've watched we've watched like four of them. Huh? Do they always solve the mystery at the end? Oh, you know it, and they bake delicious cookies. Hmm. What is plum pudding? Plum pudding. It's a pudding of plums. Like, I bet, I bet Bill Gould might know something about plum pudding. Serbian plums. Todd is one of the entries, pudding. Is one of the entries "Murder She Baked" presenting the nuts? <laughs> Murder She Baked. Whose nuts are these? <laughs> nuts are these. Uh, speaking of the the nuts, uh, this would be a good time to final thoughts on the cigar. Man, my top my top five are is just going to be impossible to decide. This is definitely up there. Uh, I am not going to say it is the incarnation of the Liga Nine because I think that is doing this cigar a disservice. I think that this is uh, and I even 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 to say that this is an iteration of the Nine is doing it a disservice. This presents a lot more than what just the nine did. And I'm a huge fan of the nine. I, it was my cigar that I gave out on my wedding. Uh, I'm a nine fan boy and this is better than the nine. It is a lot of just, man, I hate overusing that word nuance, but it's a lot more mature. I mean, it's, it's a lot more, there's a presence there that is more developed than just the characteristic Nicaragua mm-hmm. mineral dirt, earth, uh, pepper. There, there, there's, you know, leather notes that come through there. There is, uh, you know, that, that nice little white pepper instead of just beating your, your head over with the black pepper. It, it is just, it's really, really good. It takes a long time to get through the, and I appreciate it. In our interview, we were talking about how American cigar consumers basically want the Robustos and the Toros, just those short smokes. And I get it. Like he said, you know, you're, you're on your lunch break. You can't commit two hours to a cigar or you come home at night and you've got kids and you got to put them to bed. You can't commit two hours to a cigar. Uh, I'm in a position to where I can, and I I love the fact that he gives me this option in this cigar, and it is well worth anything that he's charging for it. I'll that, it that, that leads way. me to my next question. What would you guess? Man, I'm going to put this up at 21. 21 bucks. It is, as of now, the only Micarita Black Line cigar available in this one large size. And Tut, if you were to go down to your local tobacconist, you would pay $15.95 for this cigar. Well worth it. Well within the price point of it. Uh, you know, one of my, one of my criticisms with uh, the Sin Compromiso that we did last year is that it's very expensive. And I understand, I understand why it's expensive. It's not just expensive just to be expensive. It's not, he's not, inflating that price just to make it a glorified cigar it's what it cost and that's the one thing that i appreciate about Saka's cigars is that you know he's very upfront with it it was like it costs this much to make and that's how much it is it's not me bumping it up there 15 for this absolutely any day of the week 
18 for this any day of the week until mm-hmm. I ran, until I ran out of money. Uh, Yaks, are you happy with the bewitched? Oh, I think Yaks froze on us. I liked it. I oh. really did. <laughs> Yaks, we, we, oh, what? there you go. You, you'd frozen on us, uh, but then your yeah. voice started and it freaked us all Sorry. out. Sorry. It's a, it's a wonderfully, um. Sorry. It's a wonderfully noteworthy cigar, isn't it, Yax? It is very much so. I liked it. I liked, like I said, I had a very strong. Am I freezing again? No, Am I good? good. No, they they were laughing because I said noteworthy. It was noteworthy. There is no shame in that word at all. Well, no. uh, good notes. I love it. I, like I said, it had a, for me, it had a strong chocolate component. I really liked that. Uh, pepper wise, spice wise, it, it wasn't overpowering. It was, it, it would fit right in. Like I said, majority of it was just, through the nose and I liked that. It didn't like it just, it didn't burn me. It was all these flavors. And like I said, I had that leather, that hay, kind of that grass component going through all the way solid. And I mean, it was, it was just awesome. Straight through. I really, I really loved that Bewitch cigar. That is a, very, very good cigar. And now I, what, what surprised me about it is that, you know, it was nuanced, but it wasn't like in your face Nicaraguan type nuance. It was just, just this beautiful blend of subtle, but flavor forward. It was very, very great. I actually picked up in my review on the website for the Bewitched, I actually picked up a vanilla cherry Coke. Uh, flavor at some point, which, yeah, which, which that kind of mixed in with that creaminess of the cedar and stuff. Like it was like, that's a new one. And I haven't had a cherry Coke in probably 20, 30 years. <laughs> I was like, that's, was, that it kind of had that similar sensation to me. What was interesting is that I had an experience where the cedar kind of even upticked to a pure hop and then fell back down and I wasn't drinking anything with it. I didn't have any beer with it that night. It was just a cigar. And it was just, it's, man, it's so interesting what that cigar delivers. It's so weird. Whenever one of us says, I wasn't drinking beer that night, I'm just naturally (laughs) waiting to hear. So I was drinking a bottle of mead or like, (laughs) I I always expect the next sentence just to be that you were drinking something else. I wasn't drinking beer that night. I was having some vodka. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's what I was waiting for there. Uh, I was off the coast of Drambuie that night, <laughs> off the Barbary coast. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad you guys did. Uh, Yak Boy, any guesses on, uh, dude, it comes in that gorgeous little coffin with the... Just the coffin the, itself is seven bucks. Which, by the way, those coffins make great if you're out on your deck and you want to watch something on your phone. They make great little phone stands. Uh, I didn't even thought of that. Uh, it's, it's, I, it's, like a, I'll, I'll, it's like a little I'll, easel I'll, for your phone. Note, note of that. I will probably say if you're asking for a price point, handy dandy, 
individual package. The mo- the, it is the a moisture de Sokka, so those usually are more closer to the, his premium stuff, obviously. Uh, it's a tough one. I mean, he doesn't, you know what? I'm going to go 18. Oh, I was just thinking 17, nine. I'm going to go 1895. I was right there on the cusp. Nine. No, it's, uh, it's actually 1975, but I was closest. I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. It's crazy. I was, I was closest without going over. Yeah. I'd still under 20 bucks. And you know what? what I love? You know what I loved about that Bewitched? I respect the hell out of a cigar with a twisted cap like that. I loved I, it. Where I can just peel it off and smoke the cigar. No cutting, no nothing. That, that, the fact that it takes off just the right amount of tobacco, of wrapper leaf off the head of the cigar. That's tricky because a lot of those you rip them off and it's, it's a lot yeah, of you still have to cut. Well, you know, and and I did, and I always do that. Anytime they do that, I I follow I'm, I follow through. I'm like, you know what? They did it for a reason, and I lucked out on this one. I did the twist; it worked perfectly. Excellent. Now that's not always the case. No, sometimes you gotta you gotta clip a little bit more to get to get that better draw, but it worked perfectly. I mean, like it just tore off. That outer in wrapper, perfect. Uh, yeah, construction on both the SokaCon and the uh, Bewitched were top notch. Uh, I believe both done at our friends down in uh, Esteli at Hoya de Nicaragua. Uh, Tut, do you want to give the fine folks at home a couple links? Might be useful. Yeah. Though? So first of all, if you want to join us, you can join us on Instagram at tncc underscore podcast. Uh, you can also join us on uh, YouTube, uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club, see all of our wonderful content. Uh, you can join us on Facebook, obviously, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Uh, but definitely hit up our website, TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, because if you want to buy any cigars that you hear on the show, or even if you don't hear it on the show and you're like, hey, man, I just want to try a cigar, hit Tuesday Night Cigar Club, click on the Famous Smoke Shop banner, do your shopping from there. Uh, if you're going to spend a hundred bucks, man, just put that promo code in TNCC20. You get 20 bucks off. It's a pretty damn good deal. It's one of the better deals that I even see from Famous uh, throwing it out there. Uh, and you can do all your shopping from there. Uh, man, uh, there, there's just so much content on the Tuesday Night Cigar Club.com. Check it out. Uh, well, thank you, Ted. Actually, he's not wrong, folks. Uh, while we did less shows over the course of the last 12 months, uh, we reviewed 40 cigars, which is about double our usual, uh, reviews throughout the course of the year. Most of those written reviews on the TNCC website. So if you're thinking about whether you should or should not grab that cigar in your local humidor and buy it, why don't you pull up the TNCC on your phone, type in the cigar, and there's a good chance maybe that, uh, we got a review of it up there for you. And what's really interesting is, yeah, you know, I got the email from Google saying, Hey, here's your stats on the, on the website stuff. You know, a lot of people are checking out our movie reviews as well. You know, check that stuff out there. I was surprised. And it wasn't like, Hey, I'm looking for boobs. Show me beachbabe.com, which no, love dude, that thing. For like, but it was like, where was toxic shark filmed? <laughs> and that's, we're there. 
I, I told the doctor uh, a while back, I'm like, man, this is like the third month in a row in our top visited uh, pages on the website that your toxic shark review from a few years ago, like, I can only guess maybe that no one else reviewed toxic shark. So if you're looking for a review on toxic shark, <laughs> you found your home. The entertaining movie. Would you guys say that the Tuesday Cigar Club website is the Tubi of entertaining uh, reviews? Absolutely. Great quality reviews with some advertisements. There you go. Yeah. All right, Tubi, next time you're paying me. (laughs) Actually, I think Tubi just got bought by Fox. I I think their days are numbered. Beautiful, beautiful website. Uh, Tuesday they're going to be down sweet, sweet Puma films with Hoff. If they don't, you I do can't it. Live, I can't live in this world. Don't you do it. First order of business. We got to take Final Alliance down now. Ah, damn it. Because <laughs> we're remaking it with Tobey Maguire and an ocelot. <sighs> the final piece of shit. <laughs> Toby McGuire, you say? Starring Jake Gyllenhaal no. as the troll. Don't you go there. Instead of a instead of a puma, it's like a little tabby cat. Uh, no. Well, I'll teach you some more words like ubiquitous. Would you say to that tonight's show was ubiquitous? It is now. <laughs> no. Uh... Ubiquitous means something you see all the time, all over the place. Oh. That's definitely not our show. It'll uh, be like uh after this uncomfortable moment here, it'll it'll go viral and we'll be ubiquitous. <laughs> moment moment podcast host realizes nobody's listening. I would say that the hypersensitivity amongst the four alcoholic members of the TNCC is ubiquitous. <laughs> I'm just picturing all the young kids putting that on TikTok. Look, you can see the minute his heart breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Not the right context. No. Uh, well, we shall see you fine folks early next year. And if nothing else, 2023 is going to give us a film called Cocaine Bear. So at least there's something to look forward to in this miserable existence we call life. I don't know how you can not be excited about it. It, where else can it take me? Because it has literally given me everything in the title. What's it going to be? Cocaine bear. Well, Cade and I are going to file a lawsuit against the producers because we have a unfilmed screenplay called Malt Liquor Mongoose that we were hoping to get done. I've been writing that thing for like 10 years. It's like my magnum opus. Uh, I want to film that. <laughs> uh, Ricky Ticky, my ass. <laughs> I actually already had the sequel, Methamphetamine Dachshund, but that was actually me just jotting down some shit I saw around the house. I, I don't think it was going to go anywhere. Uh, Well, folks, happy holidays, you sons of bitches. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. There we go. Sign our motherfuckers. We'll see you in 2023. Is that next? 23? It is. Yes. Ho, ho, ho. We'll see you next time. Bye.
To learn more about the time, I was sued in the state of New Mexico by a little person for supposed, well, alleged false imprisonment and mental anguish. Please watch the December 14th, 1994 episode of 2020, featuring a story shamefully titled A City on Edge, the Albuquerque Elf Catcher. Look, first of all, somebody at the Christmas party was going to stick their dick in the eggnog bowl if I didn't do it. It always happens. And second, that Hugh Downs guy is a real fucking asshole, man. So, yeah, folks, the holidays can be rough, but at least we have each other. Hey, how tall are you anyways? Stay right there while I go grab my trusty elf net. No, Keith, just no. Not this year. You made a promise both to yourself and the manager at Chuck E. Cheese that this Christmas was going to be different. For once. Um, uh, yeah, uh, anywho, uh, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit DunbartonCigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.